With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Do you ever get the impression that everyone else in the world is in on a joke that somehow you're not included in? For some reason, I feel that way a lot of the time <laughs> because I look at what's going on in the news and I scratch my head and I point. I said, wait a minute. How come no one else thinks this is crazy? Let me give you a little background um, and a little context. I I have a friend who has a uh, – he's the publisher of a, a political magazine in the New York area. And about maybe seven years ago, he said, you know, we're going to do a special issue all about your hometown. And we're going to create a list of the 100 most influential or whatever they said, powerful – Can I, I don't know what criteria they used – Staten Islanders. Can you help us do this? So I said, sure. And this goes into the category of no good deed goes unpunished. I didn't get paid for this. It took a lot of work. And I really gave it my all. And I crafted this list and I explained why I was ranking people the way that I was. I met with the editors about it, so on and so forth. Fine. And I submit the list. And sure enough, the list comes out and it's panned. People don't know that I had a hand in writing this, but it's absolutely panned. And, and people are criticizing it. Why is this person on the list? Why is that person on the list? Why is this person ranked here? Why is that person ranked there? All right. So the next year, I helped a little less and a little less. And after the third year of this, I had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Fine. And sure enough, they came out with this list a month or two ago. And the list was really absurd in terms of how they ranked certain people. The list was so absurd that I think it defies credibility. It's absolutely meaningless. So I got a call yesterday from a friend of mine as I was driving to work. And he said, are you still uh, involved with blankety-blank publication? And I said, I'll be honest with you, Al, I was never involved with blankety-blank publication. A friend of mine is the owner. He asked me to help him out uh, from time to time. And um, I was just helping him out from time to time. He proceeds to go on a tirade, very well-argued tirade, about how this year's list was absurd. And I couldn't disagree with anything that he said because he says this person is so influential over a million people. This person's a national figure. They're listed all the way at the bottom. And I said, Al, you're exactly right. I said, Al, how about this? Anybody that sees this list knows that it's absolutely meaningless and absurd. Why don't we just come up with our own list? And I realized long ago, that all these people making lists, including lists that I'm on, by the way, 
all these people making lists of best this, best that, 40 under 40, 50 over 50, whatever the list, top business leaders in New York, top lobbyists in America, um, best looking members of Congress, whatever the case may be. All these lists are meaningless, especially in a social media era. They're designed purely for clickbait. These lists are totally subjective and meaningless. That being said, I have never, for these reasons, really put much credibility into the Time Magazine Man of the Year, or now it's the Person of the Year selection. You talk about it for a day, and then you move on. But for whatever reason, since 1927, people have tended to take this Time Magazine Man of the Year thing or Person of the Year somewhat uh, somewhat seriously. I I never put much stock in it, but that's me. The criteria, by the way, you know how it got started? It got started because they had not put Charles Lindbergh on their cover the year that he did his big transatlantic flight. So they tried to remedy that the following year by putting him on the cover and saying, oh, this is Charles Lindbergh, the man of the year. And essentially, the the criteria is it's supposed to be the most newsworthy person of the year. That's the selection process, as I understand it. The, the biggest newsmaker of the year. It's not the nicest guy of the year. It's not the person with the best smile. It's not the person we're really, really rooting for. It is the biggest newsmaker of the year. I mean, if you look at the history of Time Magazine's selection process, they've selected Adolf Hitler as the man of the year. Uh, they selected Joseph Stalin twice as the man of the year. You know why? Because those people really were newsworthy. Hitler, horrible person, in spite of what uh, Kanye West, a.k.a. Ye or Ye, I'm still unclear if it's Ye or Ye, by the way, but we'll table that discussion for another day. But... Um, in spite of what Kanye West says about Hitler, bad guy, big newsmaker. Is there any bigger newsmaker at the time that Hitler was doing his thing than uh, than Adolf Hitler? They named yesterday the 2022 Person of the Year. The 2022 Person of the Year was Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, who was named the Person of the Year, along with, quote, the spirit of Ukraine. And, I mean, first of all, it doesn't pay to get worked up over the selection process because it's just another dopey list. We could come up with our own dopey list. I usually, if you remember, on the last show of the year, I always come up with my list of the 10 least interesting people in America. Uh, But um, hopefully you don't make that list. But anyway, it's not just that they picked Zelensky. It's that the editor-in-chief, Edward Felsenthal, wrote in this article about Zelensky, this year's choice was the most clear-cut in memory. Are you crazy? Are you kidding me? Zelensky, as the biggest newsmaker on the planet, 
is the most clear-cut choice in history. Now, I, I didn't, I, I've been trying to avoid talking about Russia and Ukraine. One, because I know a lot of my views are unpopular on it. Two, because I'm not sure what me ranting about the Ukraine situation is doing for anybody, least of all the Ukrainians, and even less so the Americans. But, uh, and I know it upsets a lot of people because my views are kind of out of the mainstream of where a lot of people are. Although, according to the polls, which I don't put much stock in to begin with, According to the polls, more and more of you are coming around to this. Simon Schuster, who is not a publisher of books, but the Time magazine Ukraine correspondent, talked about the resilience of Ukraine thanks to Vladimir Zelensky. The situation on the ground is painful and tragic, but I think what a lot of the coverage misses is the positivity and and the resilience that Ukrainians show. Even when there's a blackout, even when there are missile strikes, People continue to try to go about their daily lives, not give in to despair, not give in to depression, to keep living. I find uh, a lot of the things that Zelensky does to be really terrible, both for the Ukrainian people and for the Americans. And I think he has made some incredibly reckless statements. You know, Donald Trump tweets something reckless. All of a sudden, people are ready to pounce on him, uh, whether or not they are twisting his words out of context or not. Zelensky says the kind of incendiary things that could get a nuclear world war started, including the fact that um, Russia actually, uh, you know, shot missiles into Poland, which turned out not to be true. And nobody ever holds him accountable for his words. The point is, in terms of newsworthiness, if we're going to decide or if the Time magazine editors are going to decide that the war in Ukraine is the most newsworthy event of the year 2022, okay, I'll buy that, I'll buy that. It's big big news every day. Then, I'm not saying he's a good guy, he's certainly not, but wouldn't you pick as the newsmaker of the year the person who ultimately caused that war? And that's Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is absolutely a bigger newsmaker than Zelensky. Zelensky's, uh, his making news is largely reactive to what Putin has been doing. So uh, it looks to me as if they were trying to, I don't know, give give the play to the cheap seats. It looks to me like they were going along with the PC answer of Vladimir Zelensky. If you're asking me, which of course nobody is, but I am blessed by having a four-hour radio show each day, so I get to make these kind of comments whether people are asking me or not. If you're asking me, the clear choice for person of the year in the year 2022 was Elon Musk. I don't know how you have somebody that is involved in more news stories than Elon Musk. And then, oh, by the way, he's just taken over the uh, biggest, uh, one of the biggest social media companies in the whole world and now become a huge gatekeeper in terms of the news itself. Additionally. What's one of the biggest things that happened in the year 2022? Going to space. Who is leading so much of what's going on with space travel these days? It's SpaceX. Who owns SpaceX? Elon Musk. What is happening in state after state, places like California, maybe even Virginia and Maryland, maybe New York? They're moving away from gas-powered vehicles towards electric vehicle. What is the biggest the most popular electric vehicle in this country right now, the Tesla. Who's the CEO of Tesla? Elon Musk. What is the biggest scandal of the 2020 presidential election? 
the suppression of the Hunter Biden um, news about the laptop. Who is continuing to make news about this Hunter Biden laptop? Elon Musk. What is the I mean, to me, it's not even close. Uh, Elon Musk has got to be the biggest newsmaker of the year. If you're deciding that the biggest news story of the year is the war in Ukraine, then, of course, it's Vladimir Putin. But aside from that, you want to talk about a guy that's involved in every big news story? It's got to be Elon Musk. By the way, last thing I'll say about Zelensky, unless you care to comment, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222. Zelensky, who is being portrayed by some as this big hero of de- democracy, this b- Churchillian figure, not even Churchillian, he's Churchill meets George Washington with a twist of Nelson Mandela. On Friday, Ukraine banned the activities of religious organizations affiliated with centers of influence in Russia and said it would examine the links between the Ukrainian and Russian Orthodox churches. The Ukrainian president, Zelensky, signed a decree enacting a National Security and Defense Council decision to impose personal sanctions against representatives of religious organizations associated with Russia, which invaded Ukraine. Zelensky's decree provided for examining the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Of I mean, this is just nuts. I think this is just crazy. You're going to go after religious freedom like this? I mean, I just, I just can't. I just, it makes me want to gag seeing all this fawning Zelensky coverage. Now, uh, you want to comment, you can. 800-848-9222. Two stories which I found very heartwarming. Um, one is kind of sad. They're both a little sad, but they both have a positive twist for the holidays. And I needed to focus on stories like this to sort of get over this, uh, this, this fawning, absurd Zelensky coverage. George Dowling lives in uh, Portucket, Rhode Island. Um, he is 95 years old, and he is a World War II Navy veteran. As I said yesterday on Pearl Harbor Day, every year there are fewer and fewer World War II veterans around, and sometime soon there are going to be no World War II veterans around. And uh, he's a proud father of four children, and that something else that he was always proud of was his wife, Lucille. And unfortunately... Last week was the 10th anniversary of her passing from Alzheimer's. And he has a very tough time, obviously, all the time because he built a life with this woman. But he said the Christmas season is extra tough on him. It feels lonesome. He said his wife did all the cooking and had all the people come. So ever since his daughter, uh, ever since his wife passed away, his daughter, Susan, has been his caretaker. So um, now... He is actually actually seeking holiday cards. Here's Susan Brito, his daughter, speaking to WJR in Rhode Island about what she is trying to do in terms of getting Christmas cards for her father. It's just amazing, these people. I can't even thank them enough because he gets so sad, and, and this just perks him up. So she's posted on social media that she's asking others, strangers, to send her dad 
Christmas cards as a pleasant distraction. Uh, What she said was, my dad wants junk mail. He just wants mail. He loves it when something comes for him. She also posted it and took a step further, posting it on TikTok. Don't get me started on TikTok. And eventually, this plea for Christmas cards to lift his spirit went viral. Her video on TikTok was shared more than 160,000 times. And so people are sending this fella Christmas cards from all around the country, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. And Mr. Dowling reads each and every one of them. And the vast majority of them are from complete strangers. Brito then hangs hangs them up around his room and the rest of this house. He gets so excited, apparently. And uh, I am going to be finding a way to uh, send Mr. Dowling a Christmas card. If you want to send him one, uh, I'm going to post this on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Moranofan. But if you want to send George Dowling a Christmas card, because I know we have a lot of listeners that uh, that in- indulge in snail mail. It was, I believe, Henry in Manhattan that talked about one of the hobbies that he's had that really helps him get through tough times and has helped him turn his life around is sending handwritten letters to people. He sends me, I think, five a week. So uh, maybe send me only four this week, Henry, and send one to George Dowling. You could send it to George Dowling at 64 Harris Street at Pawtucket, Rhode Island, 02861. That's George Dowling, 64 Harris Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, 02861. Look, the guy uh, fought um, for our country in World War II. And if this is a lonely guy, his wife is gone for 10 years. If this is going to lift his spirits even a little bit, what does it take uh, the price of a stamp and uh, just, you know, five minutes of your day? I'm going to send this guy a nice Christmas card today. And I don't send Christmas cards, uh, but I'm going to ask my mom, who does send a lot of these Christmas cards out, to send something to uh, Mr. Dowling as well. And I, who send Christmas cards to no one, am going to be sending him something as well. 800-848-9222. 800-848-WABC. Uh, in meantime, another issue that maybe you didn't catch has to do with Barry Windham. Do you know who Barry Windham is? Barry Windham was always one of my favorite pro wrestlers. He was a member of the Four Horsemen. He was uh, in, he, he's been he was a great wrestler, great technical wrestler, and also somebody with a lot of strength. It was in the NWA, was in the WCW, was in the WWF at the time as the Widowmaker. Barry Windham did so many different things. A second generation wrestler. He's the son of uh, Blackjack Mulligan, who, if you're an older wrestling fan, you might be familiar with. And if you're not familiar with Barry Windham, this was a typical Barry Windham promo that you could hear before he was. Promoting a big wrestling match. Listen, Junkyard Dog and El Gigante, you two guys seem to think that you're on top of the world. Giant, you might be seven foot nine or seven foot ten, and Junkyard Dog, you might have a head harder than rock. But let me tell you something. The horsemen are prepared for any combination that you could come up with at any time. Be it Zeke, Pillman, Sting, Luger, anybody. Because we are always prepared. And when we're not prepared, we've always got an ace up our sleeve. We'll come up with a victory one way or another. Unfortunately, uh, Barry Windham has suffered. Uh, Barry Windham, who is in the WWE Hall of Fame, 
He was rushed to the hospital the other day after suffering a massive heart attack at the Atlanta airport. And his niece, um, Mika Rotunda, who's the sister of uh, pro wrestlers Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas, she announced uh, the news and posted a GoFundMe that seeks to raise $200,000. I, uh, you know, one of the sad realities of pro wrestling, especially back in the day, but I think it's even still uh, true to this day, is pro wrestlers, even those that made a lot of money, excuse me, that that filled big crowds, they didn't necessarily make a lot of money. And when it came to health insurance and things like that, they, they were not really well taken care of. That was one of the big issues that led to Jesse Ventura's fallout with Vince McMahon was he wanted to start a union for the wrestlers because except for Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and a handful of other big, big, big names, most of these fellas were not taken care of, and there was nothing in the way of retirement or anything like that at the time. So um, they are having a tough time, and I am going to be, uh, you know, so they've raised $28,000 to this goal of $200,000, so you could donate directly to the GoFundMe, but I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing. They are selling these special T-shirts, these Horsemen Are Forever T-shirts, and it says on the front of it, it's a beautiful T-shirt, Horsemen Are Forever, and so is Barry Windham. And it's got Barry Windham's picture directly on the T-shirt, and I am going to be buying one of these T-shirts for $25, and I'm going to share the link to this on my Facebook page right now, facebook.com slash Moranofan. So those are the two. If you know someone that's a wrestling fan, this is an opportunity to do three good deeds. One, you get somebody a gift that they're going to like. Two, you help a family that really needs some help paying their medical bills. They say it's very uncertain for Barry Windham, his health. They don't. He's in the ICU, and it's very un, uncertain what's going to happen with him. And three... You get to um, well, you you get to do so. You get to cross something off your shopping list, right? So, for a lot of us who have a lot of people to buy for, I don't have that many people this year. But for a lot of people, you almost view Christmas shopping as kind of a burden. I have to cross this person off my list, that person off the, your list. Here's an opportunity to one, check one of those people off your list. Two, do a good deed for the Wyndham family. And three, really make a wrestling fan's day by getting this, getting them this great T-shirt. I'm going to be buying one for myself. And I'd encourage you, if you whether you're a wrestling fan or not, but especially if you know someone that's a wrestling fan, uh, check out these T-shirts I shared at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. So uh, that's my two agenda items for the day. Uh, to forget about the Zelensky fawning coverage that I'm going to be in store for for the next 24 hours is uh, buy one of these T-shirts, 100% of the proceeds are going to the Wyndham family. And two is to write a Christmas card to Mr. George Dowling. Again, I shared his address on my Facebook page as well. All right. Uh, That was quite a rant for 20 minutes. If you have uh, any comment on anything that I've just said, positive, negative, whatever, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. 22. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Morano. 
this song. Uh, this is a song called uh, I Feel Better by Gautier. Do you remember Gautier? About 10 years ago, this guy was ev- everywhere. He was like Psy. You know, but Gautier had that song, which I guess has sort of become a one-hit wonder to some extent. I hate that phrase because I feel like it's so... Um, I mean, better to better to have, be a one-hit wonder than a no-hit wonder, certainly. But that term, one-hit wonder, it's so dismissive of so many musicians who, in some cases, work their whole lives. I was uh, my friend Johnny Potenza came over yesterday, and we were talking about our mutual acquaintance Vito Pacone and the Elegance. And uh, that whenever you see Vito Pacone's name written somewhere, so often it includes the phrase "one-hit wonder," and it drives me crazy. But anyway. Gautier had that big song, Somebody That I Used to Know. You know the song. No, I'm not going to sing it because I'll take pity. I, I, you know, I, I, we, I have, you know, some respect for your sensibilities. But this was a follow-up attempt to that, and uh, it never got the acclaim that that song, Somebody That I Used to Know, had. But I, I really like it. I feel better. All right, uh, I'm going to get to your calls in a minute. I did want to tell you that... Um, my my wife went to the grocery store yesterday, so whenever I have a, a friend over, I'm watching Carmine, and I'll entertain both our son and my friend. She a lot of times will r- use that opportunity to run an errand because she, maybe she's not necessarily interested in catching up with an old friend or reminiscing or uh, talking about whatever it is that uh, my friend and I are talking about. So my friend Johnny Potenza was over, and Carmine and Johnny and I are spending some time together. Rachel goes out to the grocery store and runs some errands. She comes back, and she ran her errands, picked up the uh, groceries, and she said, I, how much do you think that I got from cashing in those coins in the in the kitchen because we have I think like a lot of people have a coin jar and we'll throw coins in there loose change or whatever and she cast and I said I have no idea and she said I got thirty seven dollars great and then she tells me that Coinstar the machines at this grocery store that we go to they take they took five dollars I said what. $5 for the privilege, more than 10% essentially, for the privilege of counting our money, a machine that did nothing to help us earn this change, took $5. It really grated on me. I didn't know she was going to do this, and had I known that she was going to do this, I would have looked for an alternative. I'll tell you what I used to do. I used to really like Commerce Bank for this reason, because they used to have these little penny arcades, they, that's what they'd call the penny arcade, where you could go, even if you were not a Commerce Bank customer, and dump all your change in there. It was a great way to get people in the door. I, I would go in there all the time. And they, you'd dump all your change in there, and then they'd count it for you, and then they would give you a little voucher, and they wouldn't take any fee. Um, I think they discontinued that. I don't, Commerce Bank merged with this bank, who merged with that bank. It's merged with five other big banks that I'm sure have been bailed out a hundred times by the taxpayers, but that's neither here nor there. And I think there are fewer and fewer banks that does that do this. I think my bank, and I belong to a small bank that uh, you know I'm not, I'm not going to mention because they're not advertising. Why should I give them a, a promotion? So they have one branch that has a machine like this. I'm curious, do you know 
of anybody that does this service, the same thing Coinstar does, which basically just count your change and give you cash so you don't have to roll all these pennies and quarters and nickels and dimes yourself. Do you know of any machines that offer this service for free without taking this kind of a voucher? Because I thought that was a real ripoff. Five dollars for to count thirty seven dollars worth of change. I would never have allowed my wife to do that had she told me about this beforehand. So uh, if you know of something, I am all ears, whether it's a bank or some other service that lets you keep all of your money. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Now. Um. I'll give you one trick on the these Coinstar machines that my Uncle Steve taught me. My Uncle Steve, is he's like a, a treasure hunter. He's always on the lookout for for everything. He goes, his biggest hobby, you talk about hobbies that change people's lives. I should have mentioned this the other day when we did that segment. He is so into metal detecting. He lives for this. His wife passed away a few years ago. I've talked about and but for the metal detecting community and the friends that he's been able to make in this metal detecting community, I don't know what he would do. He'd be he'd be in a very, very dark place. But for all this. So he spends a lot of his time searching for treasure on the beach and parks and on specific sites, all sorts of things. That's his, I think, dream is when he retires just to get go on a ship and search for treasure all, all over the place. So. He knows all the angles. He uh, knows all the angles about this stuff. And one of the things he taught me, and I'm going to share this with you, and he told me not to tell anybody, but this is going to be your bonus for listening to this radio show. Do you know how um, there's all sorts of coins other than nickels, dimes, and quarters? You have silver dollars, Susan B. Anthony dollars, Sacagawea dollars, all sorts of dollar coins, you also have silver, dimes, and quarters. If it was minted prior to, I believe it's 1965, that quarter or that dime is made from silver. So it's much more valuable than the standard quarter or dime. So one of the things that my Uncle Steve discovered is that these coin counting machines don't take those coins. So you have people that dump all their change into these Coinstar machines and then they get their little voucher, assuming after Coinstar takes its ridiculous VIG or to the order of 15% or something, and then they leave in the machine itself silver dimes, silver quarters, and other coins that are worth more than 10, or 10 cents or 25 cents. So what he does, every time he goes to the grocery store, he checks those Coinstar machines in the little receptacle that you'd put, that they would deposit foreign currency or other things in. And would you believe it, often, I think to the tune of once a week, he finds some silver dimes and quarters in there. So the next time you pass one of those Coinstar machines, do what now, now my wife does. I don't think she's found anything yet, but this is a recent trick that he taught her. Uh, do what they do and check those machines to see if there's any silver quarters or silver dimes in there. You can uh, cut me in on this if you want. 
800-848-9222. That sounds like when we used to go to, like, the pay phones and you check to make that that's change left right. in the pay Well, phone. that's what he does. Pretty much. It's but, the same but thing. But why would, in those days, why would there be change left in the pay phone? It would only, I guess if you had uh, made a call and you still had time left on the call, it would go or, in there? Or maybe they put it in or it didn't go through, so it just went into the change part of it or whatever, and but, people just didn't take their change, or the same thing like you said, they maybe had uh, minutes left over. I can't remember exactly why. It's been so long because right. pay phones. Exactly. With but the last do, one is gone. Yeah, but I do remember always, you see a pay phone, the first thing you do is go and check the change to see if there's but change in there. I, I think these Coinstar machines now, though, it's they much more you. common. Right. And they do tell you on the, on the right. screen like, oh, you have this coin. But I don't think, like, people like my wife, for instance, they just dump all the change that they have into the Coinstar machines. They're right. not uh, sitting there, uh, I, for, for the most part, uh, analyzing, oh, okay, I got this co- coin in there, that corner in there. They're probably in a hurry. They're at the grocery store dumping their change in there. And a lot of these coins do get left behind, apparently. Yeah, because as you're dumping all your coins into that big tray that separates the nickels and the quarters and it as it counts. And like you said, the holes are only so big. So anything that doesn't fit in, it will go and go into one of those change receptacles. And I think people don't even hear that it's dropped in there because there's so much noise right. going on right. as they're right. dumping. Cause I've done that. I've, you know, I've gone, I used to go like once or maybe once or twice a year and I'd have like a hundred and hundred dollars in change. Yeah. Me too. Me and, too. And you said that, $5 for $37 worth of coins? That's crazy. It was never that much. Yeah. Um, 800-848-9222. It's, um, you know, one of the things, we're a little broke now because, obviously, we're broke much more often with the baby because he's expensive. you got to pay for child care and things like that. But especially of late, I had my brother-in-law's wedding in Mexico, which was, you know, a, a lot of money to go there and to pay to stay there. I had my sister-in-law's wedding recently. You got to give a gift. I had my brother's wedding in Hawaii. You got to pay for accommodations there. So I'm just kind of getting caught up with, with everything. So my wife was saying how when she was broke on a regular basis, she would uh, be scrounging for coins all the time, and she would uh, find the best deal that she could on these uh, these coin machines. But now uh, she just does this in the course of her day. But I'm curious if there is a better way to count these coins than to give Coinstar 15%. John in Freehold, what do you have for us, John? Hey, Frank. Um, so a couple of things. First, if you go to Wells Fargo, Bank of America, you can cash your coins in for free. They don't charge you. Wait, wait. Can I do that even if I'm not a customer of Wells Fargo? Yeah. You don't have to be a customer. Oh, really? And because my wife, I think, is a Bank of America customer. Well, actually, no. I think I'm on the account. So technically, I'm a Bank of America customer as well. So I, um, now, they don't have machines at Bank of America, do they? No, you go to the tellers. So I, and with, without being rolled, so I can go to the teller with a with a little box full of change that's unrolled. Say, here, give me cash in exchange for this, and they'll sit there and count it. I used to do that. I think they prefer you bring it in rolled, but I never did. Well, see, I don't want to. I don't want a uh, disapproving stare from the bank teller. <laughs> the other thing you could do is, um, if you use Coinstar, if you take the money. 
with an e-gift card instead of uh, taking the cash, you avoid the fee, like all of it. It's free. And it's they spit out like a debit card. Yeah, I, I've heard anywhere. that. I, I have heard that. But uh, I, that's um, they, I, they give you full value if you take the gift card? Every penny. Every penny. Okay, well, that's good to know as well, uh, John. Thank you. But I'm going to try this. Um, Wells Fargo, Is it, there's no machine there either. You have to go up to the bank teller with your box of change? Yep. Right. But they have a little, like, coin counter thing behind the teller machine. They don't, like, count every coin by hand. All right. I'm going to try this at Bank of America next time I, I because I have a lot of change. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Thank you. Johnny in Garden City, you have another solution. Yeah, hey, Frank, I'm the hey. same way. I refuse to give a VIG to this coin slot machine. So right, I it's my money. Change. It's my money. You didn't lend yeah, it to well, me. You didn't do anything yeah. for it. What, what are you taking well, this for? You pay for the service of the machine, the whole setup there. So somebody right. got to pay for it. That's the, that's a trade-off. But what I do with some of these supermarkets I go to when it's self-checkout, you know, I don't go during the day during rush hour. I go a little later in the day, in the evening, and I have I dump my change into it, and I buy my goods with it. You know, thirty, forty dollars. I sit there longer, but that's right. That's my way out of it because you know, I'm still going to buy something with it. So I might as well buy some groceries with it. And that's that's how I deal with it. So they give you full value if you use it to buy groceries. Yeah, when you go to the supermarket, you know, the self-checkout, you have either sure. you pay by cash, you either pay by cash or change, you put change in, and there's no charge for that at all. Gotcha. All right. No Thank charge. you, Johnny. 800-848-9222. Carl in Forest Hills. Hello, Carl. Hey, how you doing there? Uh, I do not have a solution for you as far as the coin star, but you brought back a great memory for me as far as the coins are concerned. First off, my grandfather owned a coin-operated business before they went digital. So I inherited all his silver dimes and quarters and old nickels and stuff. Oh, cool! And what I and and what and and I have a, I have a, such an extensive collection that one day I did go. I think it was either TD Bank or Commerce Bank, like you said, and I dumped all these coins in there, and boom, the thing gets jammed up. And the guy comes to the thing and he says, "Hey, listen," he goes, "I have to open up the machine." And it gets, you know, sometimes it gets overflowed. He said, and also it kicks out coins. He goes, "Whatever's there is yours." He opens it up, and it had to be about a dozen silver coins, and I was in heaven. I said to myself, that's my grandfather. Throw me some more coins. But one of the funny things was in his coin-operated business, just to show you the mentality back in the day of trying to get over, they used to solder at the 3 o'clock and the 9 o'clock position on coins. And when they dumped it into the into the machine, it would bounce up and down a few times, and it would register more than one credit. So, you know. He, he would get ripped off from the players for his coin operation. Well, yeah, I mean, they would call that they'd call that a slug, right? You'd put your you'd put a piece of metal into anything uh, that's coin like operated. Yeah, we used to get washes that we used to call them slugs, but I'm talking on a regular. I ha, I have silver dimes that have little pieces of solder at the three o'clock and the nine o'clock position. And my father explained to me that they would they would they would tend to bounce more up and down when they hit that little wow. arm that would register the credits. But thank you for bringing back the memories of my grandfather with this uh, story tonight as I drive home. Hey, sure thing, Carl. Uh, best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Cindy is in Indiana. Hello, Cindy. Hi there. How Hi. you doing? I'm hanging in there, Cindy. I'm making a living. Not as well as uh, Vladimir Zelensky is doing, but I'm doing. Well, at least you're not a crook. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, the reason I'm calling is I was uh, I listen to you every night. But anyway, I, I've i worked at banks and credit unions before. And um, what you just need to do is call whatever bank or credit union you have an account at and ask them if they 
have a counting uh, coin machine. So behind the teller, um, behind the teller line, we had this, we'd have a machine, and the uh, coins would drop into the way it was hooked up. Uh, each denomination had a uh, a cloth bag underneath the chute. So when the mach- when you dump the money and it swirls around and then it drops the coins into these um, cloth bags and um, and it counts your coins. So uh, it like the person said before, it is free to the customer or the member of the credit union. Um, and then they but you but when at what the places where I worked, you did have to have account right i so, I mean look uh, it makes sense it's such a great service that I would think most places that do that you you do have to have the account but I'm going to um because I didn't realize that i because I really don't think of myself as a Bank of America customer, even though I'm on my wife's account I'm going to reach out to them and see if the branch that's near me offers this service and uh, I'm going to encourage my wife to start doing the same thing i I was so irked by that that she spent five on this. Thank you, Cindy. 800-848-9222. We have one, two, three, four, five open lines. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Three coins in the fountain Each one seeking happiness Thrown by three hopeful lovers Which one will the fountain bless? Three hearts in the fountain Each heart longing for its home There they lie in the fountain Somewhere in the heart of Rome Which one will the fountain bless? Which one will the fountain bless? In the Fountain by the great Frank Sinatra. Uh, This song actually won the uh, Academy Award for Best Original Song. It was in the film, Three Coins in the Fountain. I don't want to say it's a great film, but it's a very good film. And uh, this is a very good song. Uh, A great song. A great song in a very good film. Speaking of old Hollywood and classic cinema... I am really excited about uh, next hour. I'm going to be joined in studio by Heather Massey. Heather Massey is a producer, an actor, a writer, and the star of the award-winning play Hetty, The Life and Inventions of Hetty Lamar. Hetty Lamar has got to be one of the most fascinating starlets that ever lived. And there's a play out about her that's already won some awards. It's playing in New York. And uh, we're going to invite Heather in to talk about it and to talk about the life and times of uh, of Hedy Lamar. 
who was an incredible person, aside from being a, uh, a great actress and a beautiful woman, obviously, one of the great beauties of all time. That's coming up next hour. In our third hour, we're going to be talking with developer Bart Blatstein about some of his plans for Atlantic City. And then in our final hour, we are going to uh, be talking with Brian Kilmeade, who is a uh, obviously one of the most listened to radio and television talk show hosts in the entire country. And I've really enjoyed our sit-downs with him. By the way, if you are listening to me right now in Alaska on a great radio station or in Nashville on a great radio station, as far as I could tell, those two stations, as great as they are, are not carrying the fourth hour of our show. If you are not hearing the fourth hour of this show, you are missing out. You're missing out on the $1,000 Minute. You're missing out on Brian Kilmeade. You're missing out on 15 seconds of fame. Actually, no, um, Alaska does carry the fourth hour. But in Nashville... They're not carrying the fourth hour of this Outrageous. show. Outrageous. So if you are a an irate Tennessean, you should tell the management at uh, at uh, WUCT that you want to see the fourth hour of this show be carried out there. Believe me, I appreciate that we're on WUCT in the first place, but it would be nice if all four hours would be on. It's like, uh, imagine if they just cut off the final reel of The Godfather. It's not the same. This is a show, and I've said this time and again, that is meant to be listened to holistically. It's meant to be listened to because it's actually, it may not seem like it, it's very strategic the way that I craft this show. Different elements at different times. It's meant to be listened holistically. Not just 75%. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You know, speaking of um, Frank Sinatra, oh, I just got this message from my uh, my wife. She says uh, that uh, she and my son have been up for the last twenty minutes. No, last fifty minutes. Wow! And she got him about twenty minutes ago. He sucked down three quarters of a bottle, and uh, he was completely soaked with. Um, well, this is kind of good. It was, she, he was, you know, he sucked down three quarters of a bottle. He was completely soaked through all his clothes and his sleep sack. His diaper wasn't even on his body, and uh, she had to change his sheets. So, and I left him in the clothes that he wore all last night and yesterday. And apparently, well, so this is. This is going to be an interesting trip home now that my wife has not slept. I uh, spent most of the day working on uh, New Year's Eve Eve arrangements, so I didn't get a lot of sleep um, yesterday into today either. So now that my wife is in the same boat, I uh, I could tell this is going to be this is going to be quite a day. So I am uh, I'm hoping that uh, things turn around. And Carmine, if you're listening, this is your father. Go to sleep. Don't give your mom a hard time. Uh, I didn't know that I was supposed to uh, change him. I didn't know those were the clothes that he... I guess I did. I mean, he's supposed to put on a fresh set of pajamas. All right, that's on me. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry, Carmine. Well, I will change you again when I come back. All right, 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hi, Frank. Uh, Matt Blaze, he was referring to the coin return 
which was on vending machines and pay phones with rejected coins, was sent back to you. The, oh, he was referring to the coin. Yeah, I know, the coin return. But why well, Why are there coins? Oh, he didn't call it. All right. So, Matt Blades, yeah. now, that, do you regret that? Do you want to issue an apology here? I want to say the receptacle. You knew what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, that's. I feel like right, you're, being a little, you're being a little bit of a stickler there, Robert. Well, I understand. He's a bit younger than me. But uh, the Coinstar, I used that one time, and they, not only, the fee was 7.5%. Maybe it's gone up since then. But uh, they haven't noticed that foreign coins will not be returned to you. So I don't know if they will return silver coins anymore. Well, they do. They do, because my uncle still gets them to the machine, in the machine. Okay. That's recent. Yeah, I I don't know how recent it was, but uh, it's apparently a trick that he uses quite often. Thank you. Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah, hi, Frank. I'd like to say I remember there's a lighter side of the story of these gadgets that look for uh, buried treasure and all. I remember them being advertised in certain magazines, and they had this good-looking woman in a, a bathing suit, and she had the gadgets on her head looking for coins. Well, I was at the beach one day, and who did I see coming along <clears throat> wearing uh, the headphones and this gadget? I, I seen a guy smoking a pipe, older guy, and with his dog by his side. And he, he was going around the beach looking for buried treasure. Yeah, well, that's very common uh, at beaches, especially among, you know, retirees and older folks. That happens all the time. I mean, you know, I mean, it's very rare that you're going to find a pirate's treasure chest or something like that. But it's not that unusual to find jewelry or coins or something along those lines, Tom. Yeah, but I'm talking about the the woman that they had advertising it in the, in the yeah, magazine. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah, I, in the bathing suit. If there's one thing, you know, maybe that's what we need to start doing for this show is we need to get our own model, Kenneth, to start uh, posing in a scantily clad manner in different ads, different maybe digital billboards of uh, Kenneth in a Speedo or something, and uh, get more people to listen listen that way. Because, you know, it's funny, funny thing that happened. Ever since I I said that um, I, I exposed the fact that Sid noticed that Kenneth was was handsome, some people wish that he would talk more. So I got an email yesterday that says, I actually think the small amount that Kenny contributes is more interesting than Alex or Blaze. Now, maybe because he's sort of unsure of himself outside of sports. That's what they said. But uh, Kenny is also just great on the air. So there you go. I think that because people know that Kenneth is handsome, they have projected a a resonance that uh, onto him from their own brains, if that makes like sense. Like he should start speaking with an English accent now. Right. Something like that. Exactly. It sounds like, like he's a big beefcake. Right, exactly. He, could, you should, he should talk like Michael Caine. Give it a shot, Kenneth. Do one of those sports reports like Michael Caine. Give it a shot. All right. Uh, that's coming up uh, next hour. We got a lot of other interesting things. Hedy Lamar, Brian Kilmeade, you name it. It's all coming up for the next couple hours. This is The Other Side of Midnight. 
Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. baseball fan uh but I, I don't spend that i'm not an obsessive baseball fan anymore i was in my youth but um I, I enjoy watching baseball i enjoy watching the games i i watch them when i can and um when i was really into baseball 20 years ago 30 years ago there was no more dominant pitcher than kurt schilling kurt schilling Pitched for 20 years. Uh, he pitched with the uh, Phillies. He pitched with the Red Sox. He was in the World Series with the Red Sox. He was in the World Series with the Phillies. Won the World Series with the Red Sox. Helped break the curse. Uh, pitched for the Diamondbacks. He pitched for uh, you know Baltimore. Pitched for the Astros. He it was one of the greatest pitchers in my lifetime. Okay, He had uh, over 200 wins. He had multiple seasons of winning 20 games. He repeatedly led the league in innings pitched, repeatedly led the league in uh, 15 uh, in um, uh, complete games. He was an incredible pitcher. He, along with Barry Bonds this year, was once again passed over for selection into the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds, we understand what the situation is with him. Even though he holds the single-season record for home runs, even though he holds the lifetime record for home runs, his records are so tainted with the steroid scandal. That's, okay, separate discussion. But Kurt Schilling was one of the greatest pitchers of his generation. And the thing that you have to keep in mind with Kurt Schilling At the time that he was pitching, that was the steroid era. That was when the ball was juiced. That's when everything about the game was designed to have people hit as many home runs as possible. You had guys like Brady Anderson hitting 50 home runs. I mean, it was an era that was not a pitcher's era, and Schilling was still dominant. And yet, on Sunday, they once again passed him over for the Hall of Fame. Fred McGriff was elected to the Hall of Fame through the um, you know standard process. He received unanimous support from the 16 members of the of the committee that vote on this, which includes executives, baseball writers, um, you know, Hall of Fame members, Schilling along with Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, Clemens also tainted with the steroid stuff, failed to get 8 of the 12 votes required to make it through to the Hall of Fame through this committee process. I think this is absolutely crazy. 
Kurt Schilling um, has been a controversial guy, says a lot of controversial things, has been very outspoken when it comes to politics. He's a pretty outspoken conservative, tweeted a lot of controversial things, tweeted a lot of things that aren't politically correct. I think one of those tweets actually cost him a pretty well-paying job with ESPN. But to me, it's all nonsense. This is a guy that was a six-time All-Star, a three-time World Series champion, a World Series MVP, a, a National League Championship Series MVP. He was the runner-up for the Cy Young Award winner, the Cy Young Award three times, and he led the National League and the American League in wins at different times. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. If Kurt Schilling's not in the Hall of Fame, nobody should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, as a pitcher from that era. He played 20 years in the majors as a pitcher, almost all that time as a starter, and finished with over 3,000 strikeouts. How can you pitch for 20 years and have over 3,000 strikeouts and not be in the Hall of Fame? Do you know how many pitchers in history, in the 140-year history of Major League Baseball, have over 3,000 strikeouts? 19. And you're talking guys like Cy Young, the pitcher Cy Young, Nolan Ryan. 19. And yet, he is, and one of them is Justin Verlander, who's still playing. And thankfully now for the New York Metropolitans. This is insane. And you have to wonder what the real story is here. Um... He is, if you look at his numbers, he's a Hall of Famer. And it makes no sense. Kurt Schilling should have been in a long time ago. I think, but for his behavior off the field. I want to be very clear. With Kurt Schilling, there was no allegation that he was cheating, like Bonds or Clemens or Mark McGuire. There was no allegation that he had bet on baseball, like Pete Rose. No allegation that he had thrown a game like uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson. No allegation that he was involved with, um, you know, anything resembling violence or anything along those lines. And yet, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, This has been an issue for a few years now. He spoke to Bob Costas about this two years ago on the MLB Network about this whole situation. Initially, when I retired, uh, I thought, I, and I got, like, I don't remember what the percentage of votes was, but I was like, that's kind of, that's cool, you know? At least peop, some people thought of me in that sense, so I'm good. And then it, it became, I think, uh, focused on things that weren't on the baseball field that I had done or said, and, and it became meaningless in that sense, in the sense that people who uh, were flawed as, or more flawed than Anybody else I knew were going to be judging my character. So it was like, okay, I don't need them to validate what I did. Kurt Schilling's career is impressive, and he may not care about it, but I do. Because unlike this Time Magazine Man of the Year situation, which is totally meaningless, the Hall of Fame in baseball actually means something to a lot of the fans that pay attention to who gets to the Hall of Fame. People visit 
in Cooperstown, and it's a real thrill to see players that you admired or rooted for or rooting against, seeing their plaque, learning about their career, seeing the cap that they wore in the plaque. And um, it's clear to me that Kurt Schilling is being kept out of the Mount Rushmore of baseball because of things that he's done off the field. And look, look, they say that he was a supporter of the January 6th riot. I I don't approve of what happened on January 6th at all. I I say for all those rioters, throw the book at them. Throw them in prison. You know, you're going to break into the Capitol. You're going to riot. You're going to trespass. You get what's coming to you. And um, that has nothing to do with anything Kurt Schilling ever did on the baseball field. And if you look at what Kurt Schilling has meant to baseball fans of the 90s and the 2000s, he is as worthy as can be. Has he said a lot of controversial things? Absolutely. But he's entitled to free speech. He's entitled to his opinion, just as much as LeBron James is. I don't pay that much close attention to basketball, so uh, and look, I'm not an expert in baseball either, but LeBron James is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He tweets things that I just find to be completely inane. Who cares? When it's all said and done and LeBron James calls it a career, of course LeBron James should be in the Hall of Fame. And you know what? For basketball. And you know what? He will be. Because it seems like the controversial things that LeBron James says aligns itself with one side of the cultural arena, one side of the political arena, and the controversial and incendiary things that Kurt Schilling says, that aligns itself with another side of the cultural and political arena. I'll say it. It looks to me that, look, I get that Kurt Schilling has a very in-your-face attitude. There are plenty of conservative baseball players that are in the Hall of Fame. George Brett, for instance, but many others. So I I think uh, Nolan Ryan is pretty conservative. So it's a lot more than just being conservative. It's that Kurt Schilling is very in your face about being conservative, right? And he's kind of a, um, you know, uh, I don't know what the best description of him is, uh, but he's very much into the MAGA style of republicanism, not just politically, but culturally. And I get that people might be upset with that, but that's no reason to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. I mean, what do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. I am looking uh, at Kurt Schilling's numbers, and there is no objective measure that you can keep him out of the Hall of Fame. None. None, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, I mean, Kurt Schilling has always been accused, even while he was playing, of being pompous, uh, of being sort of a problem personality. Maybe that's true, but it certainly didn't help him. It didn't hurt him from playing in three World Series, did it? 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on this or anything else we've covered. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. It's been a while. How you doing? I'm doing I well. i got three little things I'll, I'll try to shoot fast. First sure. of all, Kurt Schilling, great pitcher. I remember a game where he was bleeding from his leg. And right. He still stayed. The blood was forming down his leg. They were comparing that to uh, almost like if it was a stigmata, 
Do you remember when the in uh, I think it was yeah. 2004. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you know, and then with Pete Rose, uh I knew the office he was betting in Staten Island and uh what I was told was he was betting on himself or he was betting on other games. Now, he shouldn't have been betting at all, but it's a lot of years gone by. I mean, it, it was it, Yeah, well, I mean, play. let's put the Pete Rose conversation aside, uh, Pete. I mean, because we just did it recently. And, it, and Pete Rose is not being kept out of the Hall of Fame because he's conservative or because he says incendiary things. Pete Rose is being kept out of the Hall of Fame because he was banned from baseball and he agreed to that ban. Now, I don't think that's proper. I think that's a separate discussion. But to me, it, it, it looks like Kurt Schilling is being kept out of the Hall of Fame because people don't like the things that he says and don't like the things that he tweets. Exactly. And I agree with you 100%. Now we can go back to uh, uh, Phil Vizzuto. Now, Phil Vizzuto was kept out because, you know, controversy things that he said that people didn't like. And then he toned it down and then he got in because he wasn't well at the time and they knew that he had health issues. Like that, so that's my point. And another thing with Carmine, just watch against uh, dehydration, because I had that with my daughter 32 years ago. She was sweating, and all of a sudden she wasn't drinking as much, and it was dehydration. So just be aware of it. Well, no, I definitely don't think he's dehydrated. I I think uh, you know he got kind of a late nap. And look, I know what's going to happen. I know Rachel is going to say that I didn't put his because I put him to bed. She's going to say that I didn't put his diaper on properly. Already, I'm in trouble because I didn't change his pajamas. I forgot to do that because, you know, I hadn't slept and was working on this New Year's Eve Eve situation all day. But uh, she's going to say it's because I didn't put his diaper on properly. That's exactly where where we are. Thank, uh, thank you very much, Pete. Uh, he's definitely not dehydrated. He's drinking water. He's drinking milk. He's he's very regular in terms of in terms of everything. I hope they've gone back to bed. I haven't heard anything new. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Hi. Good morning, Frank. You know, Frank, I haven't really followed baseball since the late seventies when the Yankees uh, had won the uh, Bronx Bombers. In 77 and 78 with Reggie Jackson and Bucky Dent and those teams you'll never forget. Uh, I guess you would consider me uh, an average baseball player. I could throw the ball around. Uh, I'm pretty athletic. Uh, But you know what turned me off is the money they make today. But getting back to Kurt uh, Schilling, I never really followed his career. I just heard he was a really great pitcher. And I believe, like you had touched on, uh, and I would concur, that he's probably been blackballed because of his politics. Oh, 100%. And, and again, it's not – look, and he's shared a lot of memes that are, are silly and things that I yes. wouldn't share and wouldn't approve of, things like lynching journalists, which is not appropriate. <laughs> but, you know, that's uh, – if he shares something on Facebook or Twitter that's harmful or destructive, that's up to Twitter or Facebook to censor him. It's not up to Cooperstown and the Hall of Fame to to become the police of social media. Heaven knows they're doing a fine enough job policing themselves. Thank you, Al. Um, you know, here's an article from Sports Illustrated, and the writer I, I, does not like the things that Kurt Schilling says. In this same article that I'm about to quote to you from, Kurt Schilling, uh, he refers to, and this is from a year ago, he refers to Kurt Schilling as a hateful jerk, okay? So this is not someone that's a Kurt Schilling fan. 
This is what this writer says. It's hard to feel bad for him, and I don't recommend trying, but he should be in. The argument that Schilling does not deserve to make a speech in Cooperstown is dubious. If Schilling wants to spread his views, he clearly does, he has plenty of outlets. It's frankly unlikely that even Schilling would use his Hall of Fame induction speech to say journalists should be lynched and the 2020 presidential election was rigged. But even if he did, that would not change the fact that he had a Hall of Fame-worthy baseball career. Absolutely right! I don't care if he gets up there and says that the world is flat. Um, it doesn't change the fact that the guy is a Hall of Famer. Uh, the writer of that piece, by the way, from January of 2021 was Michael Rosenberg. One of my favorite plays, as you know, is uh, the, the uh, 1776. And there's a line in that uh, show or the movie, if you watch the movie, where they're making edits to the Declaration of Independence. And there is uh, an objection from one of the delegates from Pennsylvania to the language that Jefferson uses in, uh, in the Declaration in which they refer to King George III as a tyrant. And they want him to change that word. And Jefferson says no. I, again, I don't know if this is true, what he really said, but the Jefferson character in the show says this. And I haven't seen the transgender version of this yet. So uh, the all-female, all-transgender, all-PC you know, all PC version of this show. So I haven't seen that yet. So I don't know if he says it in that. But in the original and in the film, what Jefferson says is the king is a tyrant. So we may as well say so. That's the way I feel about Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling is a Hall of Famer. So we may as well say so. If the Hall of Fame becomes a place where a pitcher like Kurt Schilling is not in because he um, has weird theories about the election in January 6th and because he shares incendiary memes on Twitter, if Kurt Schilling's not in the Hall of Fame, then pretty soon the Hall of Fame is meaningless. Who's the next person that's going to get excluded because of the things they've said off the baseball diamond? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Brian is in Michigan. Hello, Brian. Yeah, hi. Yeah, good. It's coming in real clear tonight. Uh, but, yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to trust your numbers. You know baseball better than I do, but I watched him. Yeah, he was a stud. He deserves to be in the Hall. I don't know when this stuff's ever going to end. See, I never... I knew he was a pretty much a, a conservative, but I I don't care about any of that other stuff. And I just I don't know when it's. I guess it's not going to end anytime soon in America, but we sure are off track. But you know what? You're right, Brian. Thank you. Um, you you're not right in necessarily not getting to your point right away. Uh, but that's more of a Kenneth failing uh, than you. I mean, if there's a, a telephone talent coordinator Hall of Fame, Kenneth may try to get in on his good looks. But um, his call screening, the people that try to keep him out of that because of his call screening, they'll have a case, stronger case to be made than is for Kurt Schilling. But you said two things that are right on the money there. One, when is this all going to end? Because it only seems to be getting worse. Two, um, you, you made an allusion to this. I don't remember the exact phraseology you used. But why is it Baseball Hall of Fame's business what Kurt Schilling says about politics or journalism or anything like that. It's not. shouldn't be. Baseball Hall of Fame should be concerned with one thing. Baseball. 
All right. Did you cheat in baseball? Okay. We'll keep you out. Did you bet on baseball? All right. Maybe we'll keep you out. Although that's an issue that uh, I think um, we have gone way too far on. 800-848-9222. Coming up in uh, just a couple of minutes, uh, going to be joined in studio, very excited, by Heather Massey, actor, writer, producer, and the star of the award-winning play, Hetty, The Life and Inventions of Hetty Lamar. Let me say hello to Igor in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. You know, I, I think you might be making a little bit more of the Kurt Schilling thing than, than otherwise. Listen, he was, a, he was an excellent pitcher. In addition, he had great postseason numbers. He only won 210-plus games, the ZRA at 3.3. You kind of also could make the same kind of argument for David Cohen. And when you have Kurt Schilling, he never won a Cy Young Award. He was never the single best pitcher that year. He did finish second a number of times. But clearly the politics put him on the other side. Well, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily take issue with uh, David Cohn uh, going into the Hall of Fame either. Uh, I mean, David Cohn, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but David Cohn doesn't have 3,000 strikeouts. And and I just looked at him up. He doesn't even have 200 wins, but he was, you know, pretty dominant and part of a lot of uh, of great teams. Um, I think part of the reason that Kurt Schilling didn't win the Cy Young Award winner, win uh, the Cy Young Award at least twice was because he was disliked by the baseball writers as well. Also, um, if Kurt Schilling had pitched in a different era, meaning 10 years before, if he started in 78 instead of 88, then that would have been an era where the four-man rotation was much more common and he would have gotten more decisions and I think he would have had many more wins. But the bulk of his career was played in an era where there was a five-man pitching rotation instead of four. No question. Yeah, that's true. And and I'll tell you what, I would put him in. I I follow baseball very closely. Again, his postseason performances, the way he pitched during that World Series run, for the Red Sox and, of course, against the Yankees when they won with Arizona. He, he was right on the nose, and he was as good as it kept. Thanks, Igor. Appreciate the call. eight hundred. And, by the way, people can disagree. It's fine. 800-848-9222. By the way, congratulations to the Yankees. They, uh, they re-signed Aaron Judge. That's a pretty big deal. I thought uh, he was going to San Francisco, but even though I'm not a Yankee fan, I'm glad to see for my friends that are Yankee fans and family members that are Yankee fans, I'm glad to see that he's sticking around. It's a great thing for New York, and I would not be surprised if they make him the next captain of the Yankees because uh, say what you want about Aaron Judge. This is a young man who has – he's not just a great player, but he's just got extraordinary heart. And he seems like a great guy. Edna is in Manhattan. Hello, Edna. Hello, Frank. Hi. First of all, I do agree with your position. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I was there at Cooperstown many years ago. Lovely town, lovely town. It was uh, like going back to my childhood. Yeah, I actually... I, it really is a great town. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get back. It's been years since I've been there. I'm looking forward to uh, when my son gets into baseball, hopefully taking him up there. Oh, right. Yeah. I even found an old uh, soda fountain shop, and I was able to have an egg cream. Oh, that's great. I love that. It was awesome. Now, now to the point, um, you made a, a comment about his his political views and whatever, and they're going to exclude people because of that, which is absolutely correct. But there's also another perspective. Not only can they – well, not only have they been excluding 
they could also do the opposite and include people that have their perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is a that's a good point. Uh, that's a good point. I think. Um, I, look, I think that uh, I, there are some people that I wouldn't have put in the Hall of Fame that are that are in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think there's anybody that um, you could say that they put in because they were outspoken on various PC issues of the day. Maybe there is. If we looked, maybe we could find someone. Well, but you're right; it's a slippery slope. Yeah, you're right. Yes, exactly. I just I just wanted to point that out. That, yeah, I believe in the exclusion aspect, but also think about the inclusion aspect, because yeah. if they exclude because they don't agree with their political views or whatever, then they also would include if they do agree. A, with their a fine point, Edna. Edna, thank you for calling. I appreciate that. Thank you. Speaking of egg creams, my um, my son two weeks ago had his first egg cream. I did not make him an egg cream. Do not call Child Protective Services. But here's what happened. My uh, my brother Nicholas, Dr. Morano, and, and uh, his his wife Kat, my sister-in-law Kat, they came over. They got him a drawer, a really nice dresser for his birthday. And uh, oh, uh, that's another thing. Uh, they they well, that's uh, we'll we'll put together. We'll we'll save that drawer discussion about that dresser for another day, maybe tomorrow. But. They were kind enough to come over and not only buy him this dresser, but they were put it together. So they were over for a couple hours. And um, Nicholas, I made him a drink. I forget what I made him. Maybe a Negroni or something. And he um, he had a drink. And Kat is not drinking right now. She said because going into the holiday season, she's sure she's going to drink a lot on Christmas Eve and whatever else. So she's taking a break from um, you know from alcohol, which I think is great. Uh, I would I I think there's nothing worse. Then when people say, oh, I'm not drinking, and then the people around them say, oh, why aren't you drinking? Come on, come on, have a drink. I hate that. I hate when people do it to me during Lent. I would never do that to someone else. So I said, do you want me to make you something else? And she said, yeah, surprise me. So I look at what ingredients we have, and I make her an egg cream. And she's holding Carmine. Carmine clearly wants a sip of this egg cream. So she holds it up to his mouth, and he takes a sip. The kid ends up drinking almost the whole thing. He drank two-thirds of his Aunt Cat's egg cream. That little stinker. But he did like it. I'm not making I'm making <laughs> I'm not making that a habit for him, though. Don't worry. 800 848 9222 Very excited. Heather Massey, who is uh starring in a play as Hetty Lamar, an award-winning play, is going to join me in studio straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Vienna Calling, very apropos. 
for our next discussion. Not only a great song in its own right, but uh, believe it or not, uh, Vienna was the original birthplace of one of the most famous actresses of all time and one of Hollywood's classic beauties, the one and only... Darling, promise me something. Anything. Don't ever leave me. No, of course not. Just try to forget that there is anyone but me. That is, of course, Hedy Lamar in the film H.M. Pullum, uh, Pullum Esquire. I have actually not seen that one, uh, but I am a fan of much of Hedy Lamar's work. And I, I am very, very excited to be joined in studio by Heather Massey, actor, writer, producer, and the star of the award-winning play Hedy, The Life and Inventions of Hedy Lamar. Hello, Heather. Hello. Wonderful to be here with you, Frank. It's great to see you. I appreciate you making the trek in the middle of the night. Yes, it's my first overnight interview. This is great. Wonderful. Hopefully not the uh, hopefully not the last. How, how did you fare with the subway at this time of uh, the day? Not so well. Uh, <laughs> I, I could not understand the announcement, but wah, wah, wah. It was sort of like uh, something about an investigation at West 4th and the A train was supposed to be coming, and then it said zero minutes and nothing was happening. So, well, uh, yeah. you made it here. That's the important <laughs> thing. Popped out and got it, a car. Um, yeah. So uh, the, a lot of – we have listeners of all ages. Some, no doubt, remember Hedy Lamar's work and saw it in real time as it unfolded. A lot of people may remember it uh, as something that uh, their parents or their grandparents watched. Some people may not be familiar with Hedy Lamar at all. If you're trying to explain Hedy Lamar to someone, who was Hedy Lamar? She was a genius. You can explain it in one word. But there was a lot more to her to even, than even that. Uh, so she was known as the most beautiful woman in the world. How did she get that distinction? That's a pretty um, impressive distinction to, to get. Yeah. I mean. There are various... Um, stories as to how that happened. But I believe it was when she was working with Max Reinhardt, uh, the theatrical uh, director, and she was performing or actually rehearsing in a production of Noel Coward's Private Lives that um, that Max Reinhardt was directing and newspaper men were watching and he turned to them and said, Heidi Kiesler is the most beautiful girl in the world. And uh, then it sort of just caught on like wildfire. And uh, then she was known as the most beautiful woman in the world, the most beautiful woman in film. Yeah. I know that uh, she did start her career as an actress in Europe, I think in Czechoslovakia. But uh, how did she get started in terms of of Hollywood? What was sort of the film uh, that put her on the map? Oh, the film that put her on the map was Algiers. Algiers. It was, uh, she was signed with MGM. Because um, it was Louis B. Mayer who signed her, but this was a loan out. Um, Algiers and her co-star was Charles Boyer, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so she was just stunningly beautiful on screen, and um, people just fell in love with her. Uh, we're talking with Heather Massey. Uh, she is starring in Hetty, the Life and, and Inventions of Hetty Lamar. We'll tell you how you can uh, get tickets in just a bit. Were you a fan of Hedy Lamar before you started this show? Um, it's fine if you're not. <laughs> I didn't know a lot about her. I will com- I will confess, but I did know um, know her name. Knew she was a famous actress, but uh, I found her unexpectedly as I was looking for a woman in science to feature in a solo play, um, and 
she was suggested to me because of her amazing inventions that all of us use every day. Uh, uh, stuff like we're, we'll get to that in a second, but uh, GPS. Bluetooth technology. She was actually integral to all of that stuff, which is amazing. When you think Mm -hmm. about one of the most famous actresses in the world, one of the most beautiful women in the world, you don't immediately, and maybe it's the superficiality of Mm -hmm. uh, of of, uh, people that critique Hollywood and things like that, you don't immediately think of her as a uh, as a brilliant actress. But if you were to now now that you have become sort of a student of Hedy Lamarr's Mm -hmm. life and her work, if you were to recommend a great film of hers that really captures her essence to someone that's not familiar with her work, that's never seen it. Like my Mm. wife was unfamiliar with Hedy Lamarr's work. What film or films would you suggest that people start with? Oh, well, her most famous is Samson and Delilah, and she's very proud of that work. Um, playing Delilah in Cecil B. DeMille's film, Samson and Delilah. Uh, Your clip from H.M. Polam Esquire, that's my favorite really? film of hers. Um, I mean, sort of a slow-moving film, but her scenes, I just really love um, in the early scenes in her younger years as that character. Um, she's really plucky, and, and she gets to show a bit more personality than she got to in a lot of the roles she was cast in. But there are other fun ones, like Come Live With Me with Jimmy Stewart. Um, he was her favorite co-star. And she was in My Favorite Spy with Bob Hope. Well, see, that's my favorite oh, uh, Hedy Lamarr film. <laughs> and, and back then, everything was uh, my favorite. My favorite wife, my favorite year. But there's only one My Favorite Spy. How do you feel about me now? I have an equivalent left in me. Mm-hmm. You've got to convince me of that. And if you were to sort of pinpoint, as an actress yourself, maybe you're in a better position to answer this than many people would be. But what made her so unique as an actress? What was it about her performances that made her sort of jump off the screen? She was exquisite um, visually and and also vocally. Um, She's just very, very charming. Um, I believe. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, if you look at the great Hollywood beauties of all time, you have uh, folks like um, Lana Turner. You have folks like uh, uh, people always uh, talk about uh, Jane Seymour. Uh, people talk about uh, folks like Janet Lee. certainly a beauty. Uh, Hedy Lamarr had a very different look than mm-hmm. a lot of the Hollywood starlets of the 40s and the 50s. What was it about her look that you think people found so striking? Just her very fair skin um, with the dark hair and her blue-green eyes um, and, 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 and her features as well. I mean, but she didn't always feel beautiful. She, she um, just different messages she got growing up, she... There was many. There were many points in her life where she went to therapy. Although she did really? re- recognize, uh, yeah, she did. Um, but she did recognize the power that her looks had. But she called her her face a a, a mask that she couldn't remove. That it was a, a curse. Wow, wow. It was also a blessing, but it was a curse because people didn't see beyond her face to see her intellect and her passion and who she really was. Right, and the inventions that, yeah. you know, would help yeah. uh, maybe win World War II. 
So tell us about the play, uh, Hetty, the life and inventions of Hetty Lamar. How did you come to play her? How did this play come to be? Yeah, so I was, um, well, it goes back to when I was a kid. I um, decided I wanted to be an astronaut or an inventor or to work with animals. And I really, that was in third grade. And I really focused on math and science. Uh, started university in astrophysics uh, with the goal of becoming an astronaut. And wow. ended up with a theater arts degree. So um, I sort of put science away in a box and left it there and finally realized that it was an important aspect of myself and that I needed to honor that. So I took that out of the box and said, okay, well, let me marry my love of science with my love of art. And I I wanted to have a piece that I could take anywhere in the world. And I have taken it all over the world. Um, So a solo play is the most portable. So I looked for a woman in science to feature, found found Hedy Lamarr. And and you have performed this all over the place yeah. on multiple different continents, <laughs> at least three uh, from what I can see, right? Yes. Uh, it's And is the show well-received pretty much everywhere? It it really is. It's just a really good story and dramatic. And, um, yeah, so it's great for people who know something about Hedy Lamar because they'll learn something new. Um, and it's great for people who don't know anything at all. Uh, it, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's showing in New York this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the AMT Theater on West 45th Street. That, led, that leads me to my next question. You mentioned what people will learn if they're already a little familiar with Hedy Lamar's life and her career. W- without spoiling too much of the show, <laughs> what will people learn about Hedy Lamar? How it is that, that someone so unexpected could create technology that we use every day. Um, and not only do you see Hattie, but I play everyone. Everyone. I, <laughs> I love play everyone. So this is a true one-woman show. Yeah. There are 36 characters. And I, I play everyone. I play Louis B. Mayer. I play her parents, the three of her husbands, Jimmy Stewart, a dash of Clark Gable and some Betty Davis. I love this. I, I can't wait to see this. Um, here is a little bit of Heather Massey as Hedy Lamar. There might be a few things about women you've overlooked. And I'm in movies. A great deal of me is immortalized on the silver screen. But there is no secret to glamour. Now, any girl can be glamorous. All you have to do is to stand still. And look stupid. <laughs> it's quite right. You should try it sometime. Would you characterize the show, and I am hoping to see it. I, I think it's going to be difficult for me to catch this weekend. But would you characterize the show as a, I mean, obviously that's a very funny clip. And people can check out your, your website at uh, heathermassey.com. That's M-A-S-S-I-E.com. Mm-hmm. And see some other clips on there. But would you characterize the show as a comedy, a drama, a comedic drama, dramatic comedy? How would you characterize it? A comedy and a drama. <laughs> yeah, both. Because, you know, it, 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 it tells the story of her life and things that challenges that she faced. But it, it really showcases her wit as well. She had a great sense of humor. And I really love that about her. Um, there's a great, a great story about her in her, in her later years, her her best friend, Arlene Roxbury lives on Long Island and Hetty would often spend time with her and Arlene would help her out, take her to the, the, 
the drugstore. So she she went into the drugstore, and the pharmacist just really insisted on a on an autograph and ha- handed her a paper bag because that's all he had. And she's like, "Oh, Hetty, you know, he really wants an autograph." Hetty looks at the bag and she says. From one old bag to another. <laughs> so even in her latter years, she just had this wit. And and that, that's really showcased in this. And even though they're all 36 characters, the most important relationship is Hetty's relationship with the audience. That's great. Because the audience takes a journey with her. Uh, this sounds uh, really special. This Friday, uh, this Saturday, 7 p.m. here in New York, Sunday at 5 p.m. at the AMT Theater. What's the best way for people to get tickets? Um, well, they, there's a link on my website, heathermassey.com. Um, they can also go to, and I don't know how to pronounce it, Kick Ticks or Quick Ticks. Anyway, it's Q-I-K-T-I-X. See, I'm the worst at this time. That's so hard. Q-I-K-T-I-X. So I think the best way, heathermassey.com has all the information yeah. on there. There's no way that we can persuade you to give away a pair of tickets to uh, a lucky listener now, can we? Can we persuade? I can, can we do twist that. your arm? I can do that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, um, we'll we'll do what we'll do. We'll, we'll keep chatting. But the seventh caller right now <laughs> to eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 will give you a pair of tickets to. Do you, do you want to say which show or they can they pick which show they, they want to pick. go? Oh, they, yeah, so you we can, can we can make Friday, an arrangement. Saturday, yeah. Sunday. That's mm-hmm. very nice. See, <laughs> you you've lost money doing this radio show today. <laughs> um, uh, so one of the things that I, I am a fan of Mel Brooks, and I'm a little embarrassed to say this. But uh, I first became aware of Hedy Lamar because of the film Blazing Saddles. Yeah. And I had, you know, I like movies, but I had not seen, at least none that I was aware of, any of Hedy Lamar's films before I had seen Blazing Saddles. And in Blazing Saddles, the villain in that film is just terrific. It's a great <laughs> character named Hedley Lamar, and one of the running gags throughout the film is that uh, people keep calling him Hedy Lamar instead of Hedley. Now repeat after me. I. I. Your name. Your name. Schmucks. Pledge allegiance. Pledge allegiance. To Hedley Lamar. To Hedley Lamar. That's Hedley. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, it's very funny, and it's yeah. much funnier once I learned who Hedy Lamar was. Yeah. She wasn't that impressed with she that. She was not so happy. She never liked to be the butt of a joke. Um, and she and Mel were friends, but she moved to sue him over this. Well, you know, she'd been dismissed by Hollywood. Her her mention that she and her co-inventor gave to the Navy uh, that was for torpedo guidance, the one that's now used in our cell phones, Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, had been dismissed. So at that point, if somebody was making money off her name, she should get something too, right? Mm. So he ended up sending her some money and all was well. All right. But, but I have an – oh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, please, go ahead. I have an interesting side note. Um uh, well, during COVID, I watched a lot of Carol Burnett with uh, Harvey Corman, and um, I've been recently befriended by his son, Christopher Corman. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's recently written a book about being Harvey's son called, Oh My God, It's Harvey Corman's Son. You can buy it on Amazon. <laughs> That's funny. I have, OMG. To, I have to yep. check that out. OMG. Uh, but I thought that was funny yeah. because I uh, took note that she did have a sense of humor, but apparently oh, right. she didn't like she didn't like uh, being the butt of a joke in like that to film. She didn't like being the joke. No. What I th- <laughs> did not realize is that uh, she was actually, I knew she was a great beauty. I knew that she was a great actress. I knew that she was an inventor. 
I did not realize that she was married so many times. She collected a lot of husbands, didn't she? Six times. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like the the curse of being beautiful. You know, the Elizabeth Taylor syndrome. You know, people wouldn't necessarily marry her for her, (laughs) you know, just especially her first husband. Well, she did love him, but um, she was a trophy wife and she was sort of kept under lock and key and she just eventually said I've got to get out and that's one of the things that I've uh, my wife is very confident that uh, my curse of being beautiful is not something <laughs> that will ever right. lead to the dissolution of our marriage our- um, so the play is called Hetty the life and inventions of Hetty Lamar and by the way we gave the tickets away so people can stop calling the phones just blew up with people trying awesome. to get tickets Thank so the, the, they're not expensive they're $20 so people can buy well, tickets right well and, that's with the discount oh, with the code discount. yeah because they're about 40 to $60 um, regular price. But for all of you listeners, there is a discount code that I can give you. It's the letter HTP20. Right, so, so HTP20. Use that discount code, and they're not expensive. You could stop calling Kenneth. We're not giving away any more tickets for today. Now, um, the play is called The Life and Inventions of Hetty Lamar. Oh. She is in the Inventors Hall of Fame. We yes. talked about... Uh, how uh, her invention led to GPS and Bluetooth. What exactly did she invent? Yes, so it's called the secret communication system, and it's for torpedo guidance. Wow. Um, So torpedo guidance was very inaccurate at the time, and there were various clunky systems that were used. And when radio guidance was used, they only used one frequency. So it's sort of like... Uh, it could be detected by the enemy and they could send a false signal. Um, So her idea was frequency hopping. So hopping really quickly from one frequency to another in an identical pattern for the guiding vessel Mm. and the torpedo. And that way the the full message couldn't be intercepted. And they even like planted, uh, the plan was to plant false messaging in there as well. Um, so it it was unfortunately not used during World War II. The Navy sort of shelved it. They oh, marked really? it top. I didn't they that. marked it top secret. They shelved it. Um, you know, maybe they just didn't understand it, and the maybe thought, oh, we can't put a player piano in into a torpedo because it was a concept of a player piano that huh. made it work. Uh, maybe they thought, oh, it's a Hollywood film star, and her co inventor was a was a um. Uh, avant-garde music composer George Antile. She brought him on when she had the idea, um, and he he made compositions synchronizing player pianos. And so it was the idea of a paper roll and a player piano. So a paper roll mm-hmm. that had uh, punched holes in it. That's how a player piano knows how what notes to play and when. Yeah, no, I've seen them. Yeah, I I didn't know the technology, but so yeah, so they use the same idea instead of using it for musical frequencies, using it for radio frequencies, and making a just much smaller device that they would include um, a matching pattern in each one. So, um, so it was implemented in the in the late fifties for a sonic buoy system, and then this is is very interesting because it was used in nineteen sixty two during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Really. And it helped avert that from escalating. So in a way, what what they were trying to accomplish and what her idea for improving this was trying to accomplish during World War II and saving lives and averting crisis helped 
during the, the human and, and that was not her only invention right and she was very i mean that was the one that's most uh, right. uh, relative to what we do today mm-hmm. in terms of gps and bluetooth mm-hmm. But um, she was self-taught, right? She had Self- no formal exactly. education or anything that, like that. Yeah, that's an, an one reason. One other reason why it's a very inspiring story is that she left school at around sixteen or so, and started um, her career as um, a film actress and a uh, stage actress. And um, and yeah, so if she wanted to know something, she bought books and she she learned and she or she asked questions or she brought on people. Thing, people that knew things, you know, so. Uh, last question, and it's, I could talk with you all day, and I hope you'll come back. And <laughs> I hope there's to. another run of this show soon in New York. Um, because Probably I, next year uptown. Keep next me posted uh, mm-hmm. because uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this. I'm sorry I can't make this weekend. And if people want to get tickets, they can go to heathermassey.com. But um, she became very secluded in her later life, yeah. almost kind of a recluse. Mm-hmm. Very briefly, why? Why did she shy away from mm-hmm. a public that seemed to want to adore her yeah. and become increasingly reclusive in her later years? Well, like I said, she'd been dismissed by Hollywood, by the Navy. Um, and also, people expect you to look the same as you did mm. when you were in that most beautiful woman in the world phase. So she had a, a, a good bit of plastic surgery. She actually invented a lot of the procedures that wow. she had, which is unprecedented. And, um, you know, people were quite cruel sometimes. And there was some controversy in her latter years. So she just sort of kept to herself. Um, and, and she had money and everything. Obviously. Uh, and, there were times where she didn't. Huh. But um, she's, uh, but the money mail sent her in a lawsuit with Corel Draw. Um, she she invested the money she got from those things very well. And so she did, at the end of her life, had about $3 million. Well, it sounds like a great show. Yeah. The clips that I've seen on your website are terrific. Uh, you seem terrific. And Thank I, I you. hope you'll make, uh, now that you mastered the subway in the middle of the night, you'll make uh, visiting here a regular oh, a regular occurrence. Uh, check out heathermassey.com. And remember, if you want to use the discount code HTP20, you can get some tickets for $20. Uh, if you want to comment on anything we've discussed, you can. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Rebel, Rebel, uh, David Bowie, one of uh, the great musical artists of of all time, uh, and uh, taken from us far far too soon. But uh, what a legacy he left behind, uh, the great David Bowie, who um, was uh, I forget why I wanted to play something of, of David Bowie this week, but that's the that's the thing. You your mind you know goes in goes out. You remember certain things, forget others. All right, 800-848-9222. want to encourage you, if you're not already doing so, please uh, follow us on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. It is very nice. Elon Musk, who's my candidate for uh, 
Time Magazine Man of the Year. If I were, if I had a magazine, he'd be my Man of the Year. Ever since he's been in charge, I don't. I'm not being shadow banned anymore. I must say, it is it is very nice. Uh, it's at Frank Morano, and you can also email me at Frank at wabcradio.com. A lot to get to. Um, a lot, the oldest DNA scientists have ever discovered shows something very interesting. I'll tell you about it in just a bit. In the meantime, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A lot to get to this hour, and we will end how. First of all, there's some exciting things happening in the world of science. Uh, those of you that are on hold, I will get to you. 800-848-9222 if you want to join the queue. Scientists, and I think this is really neat, have discovered the oldest known DNA and used it to reveal what life was like two million years ago, two million years ago, the oldest known DNA. And they've used it to reveal what life was like in the northern tip of Greenland. Now, you might be uh, forgiven for thinking that Greenland is green and Iceland is icy. It's a little bit different. Today, the northern tip of Greenland is a barren Arctic desert. But back then, apparently, it was a lush landscape of trees and vegetation with an array of animals, even the mastodon, which is now extinct. According to the lead author of this study, who's a glacier expert and a geologist at the University of Copenhagen, who I will not insult by trying to pronounce his name, The study opens the door into a past that has basically been lost. So animal fossils are hard to come by. So the researchers extracted what they call environmental DNA, also known as eDNA. I have to tell you, before I read this article, I didn't even know this was a thing. But they extracted this eDNA from soil samples. This is the genetic material that organisms shed into their surroundings through hair, through spit, through, I don't want to be gross here, but through human waste or decomposing carcasses. Studying really old DNA can be a challenge, obviously, because the genetic material breaks down over time, leaving scientists with only tiny fragments. But what happened here... With the latest technology, researchers were able to get genetic information out of the small damaged bits of DNA. That's the word from the senior author, who's also a geneticist at the University of Cambridge. And they published this study in the journal Nature, and they compared the DNA to that of different species looking for matches. And the samples came from a sediment deposit and uh, the today, the area is a polar desert that they studied. But millions of years ago, this region was undergoing a period of intense 
climate change that sent temperatures up. So sediment built up for tens of thousands of years at the site before the climate cooled and cemented the finds into what they call the permafrost. And uh, this cold environment helped preserve these delicate bits of DNA until scientists came along and drilled the samples out beginning about 15 years ago. I think this is really just so interesting. The fact that this area, which is this barren Arctic desert now, was teeming with animals and vegetation. The DNA, uh, it showed traces of animals like geese, hares, reindeer. That's, I guess, how they got to the North Pole originally. Because Greenland is pretty far up there, the northern tip of Greenland. So it's not inconceivable to think that some of these reindeer might have made the trek from Greenland to the North Pole, somehow learned how to fly. I don't know if it was through something supernatural or through evolutionary biology or something along those lines. And uh, that's how Santa Claus might have got its uh, reindeer. But previously, just getting back to the Greenland situation, Greenland, a dung beetle and some hair remains had been the only signs of animal, animal life at the site. But one big surprise was finding DNA from the mastodon, this extinct species that looks like a mix between an elephant and a mammoth. So it's very, very interesting. Uh, some other interesting science news I'll bring to your attention in just a minute. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. You know, uh, just researching Hedy Lamar and reading a little bit about her and learning a bit about her from Heather Massey, who we just spoke to, The thing, one of the things that's so impressive to me about her is, as I said during our discussion, is that she was self-taught. There are so many people... That have that are either total autodidacts or that have autodidactic specialties that teach themselves law or science or radio or anything along those lines, and um, I, that's one of the big reasons. A lot of law schools now are moving away from the LSAT, which I think is fine, but I think you should be able. And this was the case years ago. You should be able to practice law if you pass the bar. And in most states, they won't even let you take the bar exam without having attended an accredited law school. And I don't think that's right. Uh, I have made the case. I wrote to President Obama. I wrote to President Trump. And I don't remember if I wrote to President Biden. But when each of those presidents had vacancies on the Supreme Court, I urged them to consider appointing a non-lawyer to the U.S. Supreme Court because I, I thought it would send a powerful message to people. And I liked what um, I, I felt like it would make people see the legal system as a bit more accessible. But uh, I'm getting a little off track here. But the problem, the, the point I'm making is much like Hedy Lamar didn't have any formal training in science or inventions, you can be, a, I think, an effective attorney without going to law school. I always thought I'd very be very good as a trial attorney, but I never wanted to go to law school. 800-848-9222. Mary Beth is on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. First of all, your son is a genius. <laughs> he could drink the egg cream out of a regular glass, not a 
to be cop. He's very young. He is young. I would not characterize him as a genius just yet. Although, um, you know, he he is uh, he is very genius at making certain sounds. Recently, just in the last four days, he has taken to making the sound. Dieter Dieter all over again. So uh, I, I call him the Dieter Dieter man because he just crawls around the house saying Dieter, 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 Dieter. But uh, I, I'm not sure it's an instance of genius. But yes, when it comes to drinking and eating things, he is certainly very resourceful. So she didn't dip a spoon into the egg cream and give it. Oh, no, 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 no. He drank he drank from a regular standard standard glass. He's going to bypass the sippy cup. Okay, good for him. <laughs> he does use a sippy cup also for water. He uses his bottle for milk, um, which um, apparently we shouldn't still be giving him. He uses a sippy cup for water, but uh, but yeah, he drinks from. Uh, he likes drinking from a regular glass. He likes it. The big boy. <laughs> um, I I don't really know much, or I didn't know much about Hedy Lamar. I don't even know if I've seen one of her movies. So now I'm going to go to my library and see if they have any of her films and catch a few of them. Um, I'm wondering who wrote the play? Did uh, the actress write the play herself? Yeah, Heather Massey. I'm sorry if I didn't make that clear. Yes, Heather Massey, um, she produced it, she wrote the play, and she's starring in it. It's a total one-woman performance. She's a real, a very impressive performer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's fascinating because, as you say, for someone to have been teach themselves, you know, anything but let alone science. I mean, truly, I knew nothing about this woman except her name, Hetty Labar. So I'm sorry I can't catch the show now, but it's it's nice to know that she is bringing it back. And she travels the country with this show? Yeah, no, travels the world. She's performed in uh, in Finland, in Italy, in Egypt, in Ukraine, all, all, over, the, all over the world, actually. So, uh, and she said she's going to be back in New York. We were just talking off air a minute ago. Uh, she's going to be back in New York, I believe, in March. So we'll have her back uh, maybe for, for a full hour. Uh, she, you know, kind of reached out to me last minute. Actually, I think um, John in Brooklyn, who calls this program occasionally to tell me how wrong I am about the um, Eastern European affairs. I think he um, suggested that she came, she reached out to me and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that she did. But yeah, she's performed in Northern Ireland in Iceland, in uh, Zimbabwe, South Africa, all over the world with this show. That's great. I mean, really, she's a very innovative woman herself. Uh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And uh, I know that um, she had mentioned H.M. Pullum Esquire. I have not seen that, but uh, as you heard from Heather, that's her favorite. My favorite is my favorite spy. Uh, I have not seen a lot of the work that she, uh, you know, um, uh, Heather mentioned Algiers. That's supposedly the film that put her on the map. I've not seen that. I did see uh, another film. I, I did see Samson and Delilah, which uh, which Heather mentioned, and I did see another great film called Dishonored Lady with Hedy Lamarr. But I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't see a lot of the films that uh, that she's gotten critical acclaim for over the years. Uh, there's a film Ziegfeld Girl, which is supposedly excellent. I've not seen that. There's a film called The Conspirators, which I've not seen. So I, I am by no means a uh, a Hedy Lamar expert, but I'm going to make an effort to check out more of her films as well. Thanks for the call, Mary Beth. Thank you, Frank. Take care.
Diana is in Manhattan. Hello, Diana. Hi, how are you? I love your show as thank always. You, thank you. I think Lincoln, actually, I want to talk about Haiti, but I think Lincoln was self-taught as a lawyer. Yeah, well, back then, everybody was. It wasn't until, look, I get the reason. Yeah, they called it reading law. Right, and, right, you know. right. Uh, I, I get the reason that they that they made it a little bit more of a profession because money, you, money, money. Well, I think that's part of it, but also you don't want somebody that is completely incapable of defending someone that's accused of murder representing that person in court. If you know, if Matt Blaze, if, uh, you know, is holding himself out to the world as an attorney, and you're on trial for your life, and you have an opportunity to choose Matt Blaze or Arthur Idala, you know, uh, how are you as a as a Consumer supposed to know that Matt Blaze is a charlatan that's just looking to get paid, and Arthur Idala is a real accomplished attorney. But I, I think we've gone too far in the other direction now. I agree. I think today you need five degrees to sweep the street, and that's ridiculous. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right, Diana. But about Haiti, Haiti was quite destitute in the mid '60s. She was arrested for shoplifting in 1966. That, she was acquitted, by the way, although she did shoplift. Uh, that same year, she wrote an autobiography with two collaborators. She sued them. She said, oh, that's not my autobiography, because they said too much, and uh, that she didn't want out there. And Talk Magazine, which no longer exists, which existed in the early 21st century, published a fascinating story about her, that while she was in, early in her Hollywood career, she was married to a writer named Jean Markey. Now, she's married to him, legally married. They have a baby. She presents it to the public as an adopted baby. Why did she do this? I give up. Why? Well, I can, well probably Mayor, L.B. Mayor, said, look, honey, nobody wants to imagine you changing diapers and having a kid. <laughs> That's probably what happened, you know? Fair enough. Diana, thank you. Uh, thanks for the education there. I appreciate that. Yeah, she was actually arrested for shoplifting. I didn't get to get into this with Heather. That's what I'm saying. The next time uh, she's in studio, maybe we'll have her in for a whole hour. But uh, I didn't know she was going to be as good on the radio as she was. But um, we'll, um, she was actually arrested for shoplifting twice. I'm not sure if that's depicted in this show Hetty, the uh, life and times of, uh, oh, excuse me, the life and inventions of Hetty Lamar. But if you want to check it out, uh, I, I would. I'm, I'm busy. I have plans Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I, I look to see if I could make uh, one of these performances, but uh, we're booked all three days. But uh, if you want to check it out, you could go to her website, heathermassey.com, and uh, there's a link there to buy tickets. Hey, uh, Bart Bladstein is going to join us in about 10 minutes to talk about uh, what's happening in Atlantic City, which is of interest wherever you're listening anywhere in the country. Bart Blatstein is a character. He is a character's character. And he's building a water park out there in Atlantic City. He's doing. He's trying to bring back a great development to Bader Airfield. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But even if you don't think you're interested in Atlantic City, listen to this upcoming segment anyway, because Bart Blatstein's a character. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about wormholes. I specifically, I want to talk a little bit about little wormholes. When you think of wormholes, what do you think of? You think of the the, the opening scene of Star Trek Deep Space Nine where the, the sky opens up 
and uh, you see, you, you get transported to the Gamma Quadrant, right? You think of, um, you know, at least maybe this is what I think of, that, that scene in Star Trek, the motion picture, where uh, all the characters, including uh, Captain Decker or Commander Decker, who subsequently got in trouble for child porn, he, everybody starts speaking slowly, which if we, if we had a harmonizer, we would do a whole big elaborate thing. But you, a wormhole is something that scientists, physicists, theoretical scientists have talked about, written about, debated for years. And now, these, this was the most interesting article that I read while I was on the airplane to Mexico the other day. Headline in the New York Times the other day. Physicists create the smallest, crummiest wormhole you can imagine. And so immediately I'm intrigued. Why is it small? Why is it crummy? Scientists used a quantum computer to explore the ultimate escape route from a black hole. Listen to this. A group of physicists just built a tiny model of a wormhole on a quantum computer, and they sent a qubit, a quantum unit of information, through it. Now, it's a tiny step, but it could be the first step towards not only teleportation, but resolving the differences between the two fundamental sets of laws that govern our universe. So there's this big, uh, I'm going to link to an article about this on my Facebook page. You could read it if you're interested in it at facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. But it's really so interesting. They published their findings in the journal Nature, but you had this Caltech physicist, Maria Spriapulu and her colleagues built a very small, very simple quantum physics system on a quantum computer chip. They added a qubit of data to one part of the system, and then they watched their qubit of data emerge from a completely different part of the system, which had been quantum entangled with the first part. It's a little complicated, I know, but the um, the one of the physicists that worked on this the co-author of this paper, said at a press conference, it is moving quantum information around on the chip, but it's through a shortcut that it's making itself. That shortcut is what physicists call an emergent space, and it's basically the tiny two-dimensional equivalent of a wormhole. That's why the Times characterized it as the smallest, crummiest wormhole you can imagine. But it's a shortcut. It's the same principle as any sort of a wormhole, including the kind that you might see on Star Trek. It's a shortcut between two points in space. If you look at the math that describes what happened on the quantum computer chip, it's exactly the same as the math that describes a wormhole it's called the uh, an Einstein Rosen bridge. Uh, if you ever, if you remember the show Sliders, the whole way that they were able to j- slide between parallel worlds—great show, by the way, especially the first two seasons—is th- they had invented this technology, which would create a little mini wormhole that would, and as it was explained to me when I saw the show, 
They called it on that show the Einstein-Rosen-Podolsky bridge, I think. But uh, in these articles, they just call it the Einstein-Rosen bridge. I don't know who Podolsky was and why his name is off the bridge. Maybe he was replaced with Mario Cuomo or something. But it's... um, this bridge is 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 a distant is between two distant points in space. So according to one of the physicists here, it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck in terms of the properties that we look at, it looks like a wormhole. But it's uh, this is complicated stuff. It's not to say that they actually ruptured space-time inside the computer, but not yet. They built a tiny system that quantum teleported a qubit of information in a way that could be described with the same set of equations physicists would use to describe something moving through a wormhole. So this tiny, short-lived quantum tunnel that these physicists created on a computer chip is at one end of a very long continuum of things that can be described in those equations with a full-fledged wormhole tunneling through space-time on the other far end. This is a big deal. This is a very big first step into actually developing a wormhole uh, that will help us traverse great distances or do other things. Who knows? Travel to parallel worlds or time travel. It's really, this could be a huge step forward for physics. Very exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. Last thing I'll mention here, uh, unrelated to wormholes or um you know, the uh, situation involving DNA. By the way, if you want to comment, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. There's an author uh, that, by the name of Jefferson Morley who says that the CIA, uh, this is just an update on a story we spent a lot of time on last week. The CIA holds documents that show Lee Harvey Oswald was involved in an intelligence operation before the Kennedy assassination. Now, um, Jefferson Morley, who I've invited on this show, but he's one of these guys that refuses to be awake at the odd hours of this show. And, you know, when someone like Heather Massey actually takes the time to come in here in studio or Sheba Mason, Jackie Mason's daughter, it makes me even angrier at the people that won't come in uh, or won't even call in in the middle of the day. So, uh, but this is an interesting story, so I wanted to mention it anyway, even though Jefferson Morley refused to be available at 2.30 in the morning. So Jefferson Morley said about this discovery, we're talking about smoking gun proof of a CIA operation involving Lee Harvey Oswald. Morley claimed the CIA operation involving Oswald took place in the summer of 1963, three months Before the assassination. So the uh, allegation from Morley, who's written exclusively and not exclusively, extensively about the CIA in the 1960s, it could shake up the whole history of the Kennedy, Kennedy assassination if it proves to be true. So the Kennedy investigators have long sought to investigate the extent of Oswald's involvement with intelligence agencies and whether that could reveal more about whether or not Oswald was the only person involved in Kennedy's death. And despite decades of investigations from Congress and independent investigators, the CIA has never disclosed any involvement with Oswald. So Morley realizes this is a pretty bold claim that he's making. He 
He said um, in a story for Yahoo News, this is an extraordinarily serious claim and it has profound implications for the official story. So Morley is claiming that Oswald, a former Marine who defected to the Soviet Union before coming back to the United States as a supporter of Castro, was involved in a pre-assassination CIA operation that was meant to discredit American supporters of Castro. And so Morley's allegations focused on files created by a now-deceased CIA agent who was involved with this anti-Castro exile group. And Morley said that 44 documents in this CIA agent's files are still being held by the CIA and could shed new light on this potential operation. You have to wonder, and Jefferson Morley is a credible guy, a former Washington Post reporter, you have to wonder why, and we've talked about this before, including with the lawyer that's bringing this case, you have to wonder why the government is working and fighting so hard to keep these documents secret in spite of what the clear written and what the spirit of the law says, they are doing whatever they can to keep these documents under wraps. Why? Why? There's clearly a reason. Maybe Jefferson Morley is onto something here. You know what? I, I, I was just looking at my email history with Jefferson Morley. It's been about two years since we emailed and he, I got so ticked off that he wouldn't come on. I'm going to reach out to him again. I'll see if maybe his schedule has changed and he'll, he'd be willing to come on later in the day. We'll see. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. Bart Blatstein uh, will join us next for the AC report. Very excited to hear what he's working on and uh, to ask him some questions and uh, just to talk to Bart Blatstein. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is the AC Report. like just about every week I have to answer the question of why would a nationally syndicated radio show spend all of this time all of this energy on 48 blocks in 
New Jersey. And that is because Atlantic City, New Jersey is one of the most interesting communities in America. But more than that, the Atlantic City story is a story that's fun to watch because it's so unique. But in other ways, it's a story that's kind of inspirational. You've seen a city and the gamblers within that city from time to time be down on its luck and time and again make a comeback. Stumbling block after stumbling block, they're able to emerge and adapt and in some cases emerge better and stronger than they were before. One of the architects of that revival is somebody that has a great deal of expense in building things. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Welcome to the AC report, and it is my great pleasure to welcome one of the men responsible for if there is to be a 21st century Atlantic City renaissance, he will be one of the renaissance artists of it. Bart Blatstein, the owner of Tower Investments and the showboat Atlantic City. Bart, it's great to talk with you again. It's been way too long. Uh, You're the greatest, Frank. Thank you so much. You're a hero for us. Thank you. Well, you're very kind to say that. Hey, a lot of folks were surprised that um, that uh, Travel and Leisure magazine named Atlantic City one of the 25 best Christmas towns in America. Now, you think of Christmas, you think of the North Pole, you think of maybe, I don't know, Cape May. You don't necessarily think of Atlantic City, but Atlantic City is a pretty great Christmas town, isn't it? Oh, my God. Sure, you've got nine world-class casinos that are hosting parties, uh, holiday parties constantly. Absolutely. And um, you were, last week, you were integral uh, in terms of the tree lighting that took place on the boardwalk outside of Showboat. To my knowledge, I don't think we've seen anything like a Christmas tree lighting on the boardwalk. Tell us about that. How did this come about, and uh, why is this such a big deal? Well, I'm the uh, most recent past president of Rittenhouse Square, which is uh, where I live in Philadelphia. And we have an annual tree lighting, and it was always my favorite event of the year to do, even though I'm Jewish. I love Christmas. And I thought to myself a month ago, we need Christmas in the Lang City on the boardwalk. And I realized mm-hmm. that it's never happened before. That's in 168-year history. They've never had a Christmas tree on the boardwalk. So we found a 50-foot tree in North Carolina, and we shipped it up. And we created Christmas on the boardwalk a week ago, and it was magical. 400 people showed up. It was just a beautiful, magical night. I'm so sorry that I missed it, and I'm surprised that Atlantic City has never done anything like that before because it seems such an integral part and uh, so such a great fit for everything that's already going on down there. Uh, talking with Bart Blatstein, uh, next time you're in Atlantic City, if you're looking for a place to say, uh, consider the showboat. I enjoy spending a lot of time at the showboat. I like that um, – I don't know what you call it, a, a slushy bar there where you could kind of get soft drinks that are slush and then uh, maybe even add a little booze into it. You ever patronize that yourself, Bart? So I patronize it. They named one of the drinks after me called the Bartonator. <laughs> uh, not only that, they encouraged me one day while I was really hot to have a few of them. Well, I could tell you I I I couldn't function much that day. It was, uh, uh, I... yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're deceiving because they're sweet. And you don't even realize that there's alcohol in it. That that they are. Do you remember what is in the Bartonator? Well, it's like a it's like a, a frosé kind of thing. Uh, the Bartonator. It's um, uh, it's like a it's like a like a frosé. So it's like a blush wine in there. And um, again, it's hot out. It's icy. It's tasty. And then you're gone. 
<laughs> you said it. Um, one of the integral parts of Atlantic City history has always been Bader Field. It was known as Atlantic City Municipal Airport. It was a city-owned airport located in Atlantic City. And a lot of people have been saying for quite some time, wouldn't it be great if they could use this incredible piece of property for something better? Well, now you have come up with an idea for something better. What's your idea for this new development at Baderfield? Well, I don't want to bore your listeners too much, but I grew up uh, going to Atlantic City, and Atlantic City has been a part of my life forever. Uh, Atlantic City sits on an island called Apsican Island, and there's four towns, Atlantic City being the largest. And there's a vendor in Margate and Longport. I have a home in Margate. Uh, Baderfield was the first parcel of land called an airport in the country. I forget when. And it's 140 acres surrounded by water. It's the largest undeveloped parcel on a, in a coastal town in America. And I've, I, for two years now, I've just you know obsessed over it and put a plan together to develop it into 10,000 residential units and 400,000 feet of commercial space because there's such a lack of housing in Atlantic City. It's nuts. 80% of the housing in Atlantic City was built before 1979. That's staggering, which means there hasn't been any new prop in, through mm. the math, 40 years. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, why did it take so long for something to be done? You know, it's weird because when the casinos came to town back with a 77, 78, all the focus for decades was on casinos. And uh, the middle class moved from Atlantic City and went elsewhere. And uh, the focus was on casinos. Mm. Uh, I have a development company called Tower Investments, and we focus on uh, revitalizing areas and neighborhoods. So it was easy for me. My God, even Stevie Wonder could see what was missing in Atlantic City. Uh, so what do you envision uh, th- that a Bader Field will be in the future? What would you like it to be? Well, the plans, I, I, I it's the most exciting project I've designed. And with my partners, I brought in Post Brothers, uh, Matt and Mike Pestronk, my dear friends, and also joint venture partners on various deals at times. And what we designed is a cross between Venice and Amsterdam. We're cutting canals in the property and every all the residential buildings are going to face water and on the ground floor there'll be shops and cafes it's going to be amazing it's it's going to be it's going to be amazing to live there i would live there um it's going to be a self-contained community 140 acres 20 acres are dedicated for parkland and trails so it's going to be a mix, residential, open space, re- recreational, and commercial. Exactly. B- better said than I did. Yes. Well, uh, no, that's outstanding. As you know, if there's, one th- if there's one town that has even more skeptics than New York City does and even more skeptics than, Atl- than Philadelphia does, it might be Atlantic City. And a lot of people are skeptical about this. Uh, the editorial board of uh, the uh, Newark Star-Ledger, for instance, they said, can a city that can't even get a simple, badly needed shop right built on schedule get things together enough to create a new $3 billion 
$1,000 neighborhood with 10,000 homes. Uh, let me ask you the question, since you're going to be the guy that's answering that for the Star-Ledger. What do you think the feasibility and the timetable for this project is? Well, I don't think the Star-Ledger did their homework because, number one, they didn't contact me. Number two is they didn't look at what my company does and what Post Brothers does, and we do billions of dollars of development, and this is what we specialize in. Um, so they don't have the benefit of our of our knowledge of what we we know today, Frank. Um, nah, this is uh, after that. After we announced we had a, a press conference uh, call, we we all got calls coming out of everywhere around the country, uh, lenders wanting to lend to us, uh, investors wanting to invest with us. I, I have zero concern about it. Here's an island that has uh, $15 million homes on it. Um, mm. And so, uh, and, and the whole country, not just Lang City or the state, but the whole country uh, is short residential development, short homes. One of the reasons I love talking to you and one of the reasons that I'm rooting for you so much is because with all these investments investments that you're making in Atlantic City, not only the improvements you've made to Showboat, not only the, what you're doing with uh, Bader Field, but a couple of other projects, which I'm going to ask you about, is I can just sense the optimism in your voice and behind with what you're trying to do. And uh, you get the sense that even a lot of the business people in Atlantic City, they're folks that ne aren't necessarily betting on Atlantic Atlantic City's future. They're in Atlantic City because they've been there a while. You are. You're optimistic about Atlantic City's future. You're bullish. I, I, I guess in Philadelphia, I'm best known for the area that I developed called Northern Liberties, which was the most crime-ridden neighborhood in the city uh, back in the day when I bought there. And uh, now it's not one of the hottest neighborhoods in the entire country. Uh, I'm totally, totally convinced. You know, New Jersey, uh, Lang City has infrastructure. We have an airport, an international airport. We have transit systems, buses and train, and we have the jitneys. We have a, we have power. We have this is all other things that are essential for development. We already have it there: fiber optic. Uh, gas, natural gas, we have everything there. Don't forget the city also was 50% larger back in the 50s. Um, this is, in my career, even though it's the largest project, it's a no-brainer. And I wouldn't be doing this, Frank, at this stage of my career if I didn't believe 100%. So uh, what is the timetable? How soon can people look forward to spending time in this new development and uh, maybe even getting a place there? Well, um, what I requested uh, after the press conference, I requested from the governor that there's an open and transparent process that's started by the state because the state does oversee the city. A couple of people in the city were pushing another development, which had a racetrack, a car racetrack. But, you know, I don't I don't know that there's much merit there. Um, so I have requested from the governor a, a process. I'm hopeful and very optimistic that there's going to be a process and then we'll compete. Uh, I'll welcome my team will compete. Uh, maybe that other racetrack team will compete and maybe others will come from around the country to compete. And I welcome it. I welcome it because that's what's best for Atlantic city is an open and transparent process because what's best for Atlantic city should be the project that is chosen. 
No, that's uh, absolutely terrific. I'm, I'm optimistic about it, and I'm hopeful about it. It sounds great. All right. Uh, I am, as I believe you know, the father of a one-year-old, and uh, my wife and I are very much looking forward to a lot of future summer trips with him as he gets older to Atlantic City, especially because of what has now begun at the showboat, which is this new water park. The, a water park in Atlantic City is something that everybody has talked about for years. Everybody has said, wouldn't this be great? Give us an update. Uh, I know you have gotten the ball rolling on this. How soon until it's open? May. Um, Atlantic City was easy to figure out. See, when we go, in, when we go into an area, we, we look at what's missing. Well, there's 25 million visitors a year to Atlantic City. It's, uh, it's a staggering amount. Of, of people. And it was easy to see what was going on there. Only 8% of the people visiting Atlantic City were families. So it's like, duh, you know, let's, let's, do, let's do a family resort anchored by an indoor water park. And we've designed the, we've designed the best water park pound for pound in the planet. I, 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 your, your child is going to go crazy. Uh, uncle Bart's going to be the favorite uncle. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't and doubt it's, it. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. Well, I'm a grandfather, so I'm hopefully going to be the coolest grandfather in the world. Uh, so, oh. yeah. Uh, no, a lot of folks. No, 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 no. I, I, uh, I think uh, Uncle Bart is uh, going to be very w- well received in the Morano household. But uh, a lot of folks have been writing Atlantic City's obituary for 15 years, especially over the course of the last 10 years. And every week, it seems like there's a new article about gambling opening in another locale in the Northeast. They're talking about a casino in Times Square, a casino in Coney Island. And, you know, I have various thoughts about different projects, but a lot of folks are saying that that is going to take business away from Atlantic City. Now, you have had a very successful property with non-gaming. The Lucky Snake Arcade is just so much fun at, at the showboat, and there's a lot going on there in terms of dining and nightlife and everything else. But are you concerned, as someone that wants to see Atlantic City thriving and doing well and teaming with people, that increased gambling in other localities could take people away from Atlantic City? Well, of course, it could take people away from Atlantic City, but also the casinos in Atlantic City are going to start reinvesting. Caesars just announced an, an amazing adult adult uh, development uh, at, at Caesars on the boardwalk. We we do have the only casinos on an ocean and on a boardwalk, um, so we we have a monopoly on on that. Uh, we still are a wonderful place to go. We have the longest boardwalk uh, in the world. Uh, it, it just has an amazing, amazing amount of resources. So no, we're gonna we're gonna increase the market, and hopefully others will follow. Because if you look at successful towns, they're not just casino towns; they have other amenities. Las Vegas, oh my God, look at them! A, over eighty percent of the revenue in Las Vegas is non-gaming revenue. If you look at Lang City, it's only twenty percent is non-gaming revenue. So there's so much capacity in Lang City; it's mind blowing. And of course, you know, no. it's easy to get to from New York and thirty million people. 
Uh, that's for sure. New York, Philadelphia, and uh, everywhere in the uh, on the East Coast, quite frankly. There's nothing like a trip to it, uh, Atlantic City. Bart, I'm sorry I'm not going to see you on uh, New Year's Eve Eve this year. We're doing our gala New Year's Eve Eve party in Atlantic City. But make sure you put it in your calendar next year because uh, I'm sure there's going to be some festivities that you're involved in and maybe even that we can incorporate this water park in. Frank, I get stuck. Well, we have a place in South Beach, and I get stuck going to Miami. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> I'd rather be up here where it's cold and rainy and snowy, but uh, maybe sometime. I, I don't know. My, my poor wife guy. makes me do this. What am I going to do? Uh, believe me. Uh, believe me. If I had a nickel for every sentence I ended or began that way. Bart Bladstein, it is uh, always a treat to talk with you. Best of luck uh, with this new development. Oh, by the way, um, the, the name of the new development, do you have something that you'd like uh, to call it? Did you, uh, did you have Casa, a name in mind? Casa Mar. Casa Mar. Basically home by the sea. I love it. Casa Mar, somebody that's been to Venice, I can tell you I'd much prefer the uh, short drive to Atlantic City than the lengthy plane ride there. All right, uh, Bart Bladstein, thanks very much. Have a great Christmas. Frank, you're the best. Thank you, pal. Bye-bye. Thank you. If, you. if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. talking about or singing about love song if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing or just join our facebook group morano radio fans and haters it was sarah borellis's birthday yesterday she turned 43 years of age so happy birthday to her and apparently one of her wishes was to be uh, was to be played on this show so there you have it uh very nice to see all right um by the way, speaking of the Facebook group, somebody posted um, in our first hour, Frank said that the time cover should be about Elon Musk. Frank has no knowledge about international affairs, just as ignorant is Tucker Carlson. Well, clearly Abe, who wrote this, has no knowledge of punctuation. For Frank to, to, again, I've always said, my (laughs) fiercest critics are the ones that use punctuation and grammar the most poorly. 
For Frank to talk about Ukraine is like the Pope, not even capitalized, uh, sorry, Abe, talking about the porn business. What does that mean? I would listen to the Pope talk about the porn business. The Pope in his day was a pretty wild and crazy guy. So, um, anyway. But anyway, um, speaking of Tucker Carlson, who Abe uh, mentions there, I do like... Talk, I, I, he's the only show on Fox News that I would watch regularly. Although I, I do um, find some interesting things from Steve Hilton from time to time, but that's on the weekend. I find the totality of cable news boring, predictable, lame, formulaic, and uh, really a negative on the country. But I do find Tucker Carlson's show interesting and original, and I find Michael Smirconish's show on CNN similarly interesting and original. So the other day, I was on the, you know, I'm trying to, I didn't get to bike yesterday because I'm tied up with all this New Year's Eve Eve stuff. And then my friend came over and I was watching Carmine and was preparing for the show. But I've been trying to bike as much as possible. And I did 11 miles the, the other day. And I was watching Tucker Carlson's television show as I was, you know, doing my stationary bike thing. And then up pops a television advertisement and it's sebastian gorka now you remember sebastian gorka he's a nationally syndicated radio talk show host i know dr gorka a little bit clearly a a a bright guy he was you used to be everywhere on cable news and then he joined the trump administration it's not really even clear what he was doing in the trump administration he was a special assistant that would go on television a lot and since then he's he's an activist he's an author and he's building a media career Career, he's doing all sorts of things. He's on Cameo, and uh, he does these commercials for Relief Factor. Now, I- I've not taken Relief Factor. I-, I have no idea if it's the best product in the world or the worst, but he does these commercials. Uh, you might have seen them. He's been doing them, I guess, for the last year and a half or so. They sound like this. Sebastian Gorka here for Relief Factor. And first of all, let me say that I have never before endorsed a pain reliever. But when Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son owners of Relief Factor, asked me to endorse their 100% drug-free product, I absolutely couldn't say no. There are simply too many people like me who are struggling day after day, night after night, with pain due to aging, exercise, or just everyday living. And of course, I only said yes because after years of my personal lower back pain, I am now pain-free. The Relief Factor, definitely, I feel. We don't need to hear the rest. So now it is interesting with, with that Seb begins that commercial by saying, I have never before endorsed a pain reliever. And all I'm thinking is, well, did he have a lot of offers to endorse a pain reliever? Were, were, there, were the people from Icy Hot saying, please, Dr. Gorka, endorse our product? Please? Do the people from uh, Ben Gay, uh, <laughs> did they come to him and say, please, Dr. Gorka, try our product? Yeah, Icy Hot had to settle for Shaq. <laughs> it's, I thought that was the strangest thing in the world. Until, um, until, and again, it's nothing against Relief Factor or Seb Gorka, but, but it was so strange. I have never before endorsed a pain relief product. Sebastian Gorka here for Relief Factor. And first of all, let me say that I have never before endorsed a pain reliever. You're kidding. You haven't? I'm shocked. So anyway, 
Those commercials ran for about a year. And then we tried to find the commercial that I saw the other day. We have been unable to do so. But now there's a, you know, after everybody buys the first thing, you got to get those same people to buy the second thing, right? So everyone who's going to buy Relief Factor because Sebastian Gorka advertised it, they now have to sell them the Relief Factor Sleep Aid. And so Sebastian Gorka is in this commercial for a sleep aid. And I'm paying attention because I I, I want to be able to sleep well. <laughs> I'm watching this commercial. And it starts with Seb talking about his difficulty sleeping. He's getting on an airplane or something like that. He's clearly traveling. And then he looks like he's in a hotel room. He He's by himself at the beginning of the commercial. Then he looks like he's in a hotel room. And he gets into bed in his full suit and tie. And all I'm thinking is, Seb, maybe the reason you're having a tough time sleeping is because you're in a full suit and tie. And then there's this woman in bed with him in the commercial that's never identified. Who is that lady? Where did she come from? And why wasn't she at the beginning of the commercial? Did anyone else see that? Let me know if I'm the only one that thought the whole staging of that commercial was weird. And again, it's respectful. I have nothing against Relief Factor. 800-848-9222. Your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, we'll be joined in about uh, 25 minutes by the one and only Brian Kilmeade. Very much looking forward to that conversation. The year was 2014, and uh, one of my favorite film critics and one of my favorite people, he's a great author, a great baseball historian, actually a, um, a an attorney, or at least he has a law degree, he doesn't practice law, but uh, is Jeffrey Lyons. And I've been following Jeffrey Lyons' film reviews for years. And I, I'm a fan of Jeffrey's. I consider him a friend. And uh, I, he listens to the show from time to time. I'm always telling him because he sends me emails sometimes about, uh, oh, you know, you were talking about this. You should keep in mind that, whatever. I always say, Jeffrey, whenever you're up, just call in. I'd love to have him. I would love uh, if I was on a show that was on a normal hour, I would put Jeffrey on that show. Every week, because to me, there's nobody more entertaining than Jeffrey. And when I was a radio producer, when I produced Curtis's show and Joe Piscopo's show, I did put Jeffrey on uh, every Friday to review films. And he's terrific. Absolutely terrific. So in 2014, we were doing a segment on one of the shows that I was producing. It was Joe Piscopo. And he was talking about, or I might have been subbing for Joe. I don't remember. But he was talking about how his three favorite films of the year 
all had to do with food. And they're all great films. Uh, one is called Chef with John, Shav- uh, John Favreau. One is called The, um, the Thousand Foot Journey. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a fine, fine film. Oh, maybe, yeah, th- The Hundred Foot Journey, not The Thousand Foot Journey. I made the walk a whole lot longer. And the other one is a foreign film. It's called Lay Chef. Lay Chef, Chef, and Hundred Foot Journey. And he said, you know, all my favorite films this year are food related. And I watched all these films based on Jeffrey's recommendation. And I, and perhaps it's because, as you can tell, for those of you that watch the Facebook videos that we put up from time to time, and my current less than impressive physique, I uh, probably enjoy food a little bit more than I should. So I was reminded of that anecdote, not only because I thought it was a good opportunity to tell you to check out those three films, Chef, Lay Chef, and Hundred Foot Journey. Um, Lay Chef is is in French, but it it goes. It really pops. It's a great film. I, I was reminded because so many of the stories that I put on my list of things to talk about, because every day when I call through the papers, when I call through my personal experiences, when I go through notes, when I just think, I make a list of things that maybe I'll bring up on the radio. And the list is nine pages long, literally. It's longer than my New Year's Eve Eve email. So the idea being that if a guest can't doesn't show up or no or the phones break down or whatever, we can't play any sound, that we'll always have something to talk about because I just go to my list and I always have something. And I noticed that a surprising number of the stories that ended up making my list were all food-related. So I figured, let me bunch them together and bring them to your attention and see if uh, you're as interested in these four stories, one, two, three, four, as I happen to be. I came across this article in on CNBC.com. People who live to 100 have some commonalities in their diet. What do you think they're eating? People that live to 100. Let me give you a spoiler alert. It is not the typical American diet. So there are some daily practices that could increase your chances of living to 90 and beyond. And Dan Butner has a book in which he's identified the world's longest living areas and studied the patterns and lifestyles that seem to explain the longevity of the populations there. And he analyzed over 150 dietary surveys that captured the daily eating habits of people in these areas that live forever over the past 80 years. And these are the most common foods included in their diet. So if you want to live to 100, listen and listen good. These are the five pillars of what Butner calls the longevity diet. And maybe we'll invite him on the show. I don't know how he is on the radio, but we'll reach out to him. These are not terribly surprising. One is whole grains. Whole grains like corn, rice, and oats, complex carbs. The other is greens. You know, I I think the one thing that just about everybody agrees upon is that whatever your diet is, if you include a lot of greens, a lot of green leafy vegetables, you're going to be in a healthier position than if you don't. So greens. Tubers, including potatoes and yams, more complex carbs. I thought that was interesting because in recent years, really post-Atkins, carbs have gotten such a negative connotation. Nuts, 
and beans. It sounds like my son's diet. Maybe um, maybe that caller who called before was right. Maybe my son is a genius. He's eating nuts. Well, does he eat nuts? He eats them if they're mushed. He eats beans all the time. And he likes uh, potatoes and yams. He likes greens. And he loves corn. I fed him some corn last night. He loves it. So I thought that was interesting. Those are the five pillars of a longevity diet. But here on the other side are some foods that we Americans are eating that have been deemed literally unfit for human consumption overseas. We know that the American diet is far from ideal. There's a reason that the stereotypical image of an American in other countries is somebody that, um, you know, has a hamburger in each hand. But did you know that there are all sorts of foods that we are eating on a regular basis that are strictly banned in other countries. Did you know that? Did you know that we are eating and drinking food that is illegal to sell in other countries? Uh, So I figured if I'm going to give you the five foods that will help you live to 100, let me give you the five foods that you cannot eat and drink in the European Union and in some other places. One is, and I I find this absolutely revolting, so I'm not surprised that it's banned, and I'm not shedding any tears about it being banned. One is Mountain Dew. I find, and I've never liked the taste, even when I was a a child, and that was all the rage, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew is the most vile-tasting soda I've I've ever encountered. And it's become so associated with gamers, I guess, because it, it gives them caffeine and they can uh, play and play video games till late in the night. I don't know. But it is surprising to some people that up until very recently, Mountain Dew was banned in Japan. It is still, as far as I uh, can tell, banned in parts of the European Union. And it's not banned because it's too extreme. It's banned because of an additive that's in this soda. The uh, acronym is BVO, brominated vegetable oil. In recent years, PepsiCo, which owns this company, which if you watch that Netflix documentary, you will like even less than you do now. PepsiCo has vowed to remove BVO from Mountain Dew and um, I think they are in the process of doing that. But Mountain Dew with BVO is prohibited elsewhere. Here's one that I wouldn't have thought of, but the more I read about it, it made a lot of sense. Chlorinated chicken. Chlorinated chicken. I think that, doesn't that sound like the kind of insult that Boris Johnson would hurl at someone? And I think I, he actually did do that. I think that's why it's in my head. You're chlorinated chicken. But um, you have – it's not surprising that when it comes to providing a country of meat lovers with sufficient animal flesh to eat, we tend to whistle and look the other way more than other places. One particular practice designed to make sure that more of our chicken passes code is one that doesn't pass the sniff test, literally, the practice of chlorinated chicken – Chlorine-washed chicken has been banned in the EU since 1997. Here's an interesting little twist, though, and I didn't know this until I started preparing for this segment. 
it's that it's not necessarily the process itself that the EU doesn't approve of. Whether it's safe or not, the fact that you need to wash chicken carcasses with chlorine is a pretty glaring indication that the chickens in question probably are pretty disgusting. So the the horrific caging practices of some U.S. chicken farms, which raise the maximum amount of chickens at the expense of things like ventilation and space, it makes for a very high-risk environment for these for or for these chickens to develop a disease or something. So they so quote unquote fix this by washing the dead chicken in chlorine, which the EU does not allow. This is something that I've never even heard of. Pork with ractopamine. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But this is banned all over the place. This is banned. Pork with ractamine is banned in more than 160 countries, including the entire EU, including Russia. Sorry, Vladimir Putin, you're not the Time Magazine Man of the Year. And including China. So it's... um. Really related to another inhumane animal practice with a little bit of health uncertainty thrown in. I mean, is this frightening to you that you're eating pork that is banned in Russia and China? There are places in Russia and China. Didn't your parents always tell you that when you wouldn't eat your meal? There are children in China that are starving, children in Russia that are starving. The Russians would rather starve to death then eat pork with rac, rac, whatever this is, ractopamine. The ingredient in question, ractopamine, it's fed, listen to this, it's fed to between 60 and 80% of American pigs that are raised for pork. Up to 80% of the pork that you're eating could have this ingredient that's banned all over the world. So one thing is very clear about ractopamine it makes pigs big, which is why farmers love it, because you could sell a big hog and make more money. Unfortunately, there's a lot less clarity in some other important categories. The European Food Safety Authority says there's not enough data to show that it's safe for human consumption at any level. Ractopamine comes from a group of drugs originally developed to treat asthma, that were then found to effectively boost boost growth in animals. And it was approved after one study by the FBA, the FDA, one study that involved how many people do you think were involved in this one study? Tens of thousands? Thousands? Hundreds? Dozens? The it was approved after one study by the FDA that involved six people. Six people, and they approved this. Oh, and by the way, one of those six people got sick. This is in the pork that you are eating in the United States, in all likelihood. The other one, uh, this is something that I've known about a long time, and I stay away from, uh, farmed salmon. This is all over the place. And, um, you know, I'm sure if you go into a restaurant and the salmon is super cheap, chances are it's farmed salmon. But... Um, this is a fish that is in very high demand. I love it. I, I eat it frequently. 
It's in demand for its flavor and for its health benefits. But it's not exactly an overwhelming supply. Boston Legal did a running series of episodes all about farm salmon. The solution to this, meaning the problem to it being um, you know, not in great supply, is farm salmon raised in captivity. And as this as it usually does, raising animals in captivity eventually turns into maximizing the animals and minimizing space. It results in salmon that are a whole lot unhealthier than their free roaming counterparts. So the meat is not unsafe to eat. And I have eaten farmed salmon many times. But farmed salmon is shown to have a lot less health benefits than wild salmon. Now, that's not surprising, but it's a long way from anything hazardous. So why is it banned in places? Well, farmed salmon do have one big noticeable downside. Instead of the shimmering pink slabs of fish that the world, that the word salmon summons in our minds. In fact, it's even a color now, right? I mean, you wear, I have a, a salmon-covered polo shirt. I, um, I've put on so much weight, I don't think I could fit into it currently. But it's, um, you know, it's a color. This hue comes from um, a substance, which I can't pronounce, which wild salmon get from natural food sources like krill. So what do they do on the farms? Some farm solution has been to add this synthetic astatexic, whatever it is, I don't know, this synthetic substance into the food, and they feed their salmon to artificially dye their meat the desired color. So Australia has banned this, and it's banned in some other places because they don't want them feeding fish dye, essentially. And yet we're eating this. And then um, I'll just mention one more. And this has got to be, this got a lot of coverage about eight years ago. You probably remember it. And they said they were making all sorts of changes. I don't know if they did. This has got to be the food on this list that has by far the worst name. And that is pink slime. So pink slime is a form of processed meat that um, a few years ago everybody was talking about. But now it's sneaking back. And when you want to increase profits as a meat producer, you want bigger animals. And in a weird, perverted flip of the old every part of the buffalo chestnut, you don't want any of that meat going to waste. So that leads to meat producers looking at scraps of meat left on the skeletal remains of a beef carcass and the meat is then scraped off the bone, heated, and all the fat is spun out in a centrifuge. Now, because the meat is usually from the outer portions of the cow, it's more susceptible to contamination, which prompts a quick spray of ammonia, a notably inedible chemical. And so this disinfected beet Beef trimmings then gets piped out and dyed pink. So you heard me correctly. The pink slime is an improvement in aesthetics. So you can imagine what this looks like before it's dyed pink. Um, And it's shipped out. 
most people, including a um, scientist for the U.S. Department of Agriculture by the name of Carl Custer, don't consider pink slime something anyone should be eating. The problem is the USDA considers it meat. So there's absolutely no labeled way of knowing whether it's in the next pack of ground beef that you buy. Unless, of course, you're in the European Union or in Canada, both of which have banned pink slime. So you're eating pink slime if you're eating ground beef, probably. If you're eating pork, you're eating ractopamine. If you're eating farm salmon, you're eating that horrible dye. Um, and, you know, Mountain Dew will put a little bit of an asterisk because they say that uh, they're fixing that, that problem that's in it. And uh, chlorinated chicken... You have to wonder why it's being chlorinated in the first place. I'm not going to get into both of the other food stories that I'm going to mention, but I'll save one for the future. But I'll mention this one other one because I want to get to a bunch of your calls before we do the $1,000 Minute and uh, Brian Kilmeade. There's a new trend in the world of food. And this is interesting. Thaw and eat food. Now, we all know frozen food, right? You throw it in the science oven, put it, heat it up for two minutes, maybe you flip it over, and boom, you got your Swanson TV dinner. It's all done. But from frozen sandwiches that don't need to be microwaved to pies and waffles that go from freezer to plate, food manufacturers are now racing to introduce products in this new thaw and eat category. Americans, during the pandemic, it changed so much of society, Americans got used to eating more meals at home. So now that schools and offices are having people come back, which I think we all acknowledge is a good thing, people are seeking easier-than-ever options. And behold, frozen thaw-and-eat food or thaw-and-serve foods, products that can be ready to eat in two hours or less, no microwave oven required. These latest offerings are aimed at adults who grew up with Uncrustables, Eggo, and other um, kind of one-handed cultural touchstones. I guess it would probably include um, things like Pop-Tarts, right? Nestle is trying to propagate the term, ready for this? Because you're going to hear it everywhere next year. Smeals. Smeals, S-M-E-A-L-S, to refer to small meals or sizable snacks catering to modern consumption habits. Smucker just introduced a new line of Uncrustables frozen sandwiches filled with meat and cheese instead of peanut butter and jelly. On the heels of Nestle rolling out the Deli Witch, a new line of soft crust Hot Pockets that don't require heating. You just freeze it, and you take it out, let it thaw for a couple hours. So the two very familiar brands, Nestle and Smuckers, are going head-to-head on this one, both touting the grabbable, convenient, no-mess aspect of their lunchbox-friendly sandwiches. Uncrustables meat and cheese bites come in ham and cheddar and turkey and Colby, and so do the deli witches. Smuckers, listen to this is doubling down on Uncrustables. They are building a $1.1 billion 
manufacturing plant in Alabama to uh, crack them out, uh, to crank them out. And um, Kraft Heinz, they have their own take on the product. It's called launch box sandwiches. That's a couple of years old now. That started even before the pandemic. So um, thaw and serve frozen pies are also making a big push. But uh, they're saying that thaw and eat that is a territory that while it's existed, it may not have had as many offerings that were targeted towards the consumer. So we'll see where this goes. Uh, who knows? In the future, maybe every busy adult will be eating foods that they have to thaw out. 800 if you want to comment on anything we have covered here or previously. Sarah is in the in Wisconsin, the cheese state. Hello, Sarah. Good morning, Frank. How morning. Are you? I'm great. Thank you. Just a minute. I'm I'm trying to figure out how much money it's going to cost me now that I'm going to live to 106 <laughs> to buy that re, uh, buy my relief factor all these years to come. <laughs> the other thing I want to tell you is if there's if you want to keep an um, an older lonely woman awake, you just mentioned Kenneth in a speedo again. I told him <laughs> I'd been thinking about that for four hours. Holy smokes. Oh, boy. Okay, don't, don't you know, thing. honestly, don't give him a swell head. His ego has become a little bit of a problem around here. So we're trying not to, we're, we're trying to deflate his ego rather than feed into it. You know, it's funny. Um, almost everybody that has worked here in the, in the two and a half years that I've been back, they all start out part time. They work their way up through the ladder and then they eventually get hired full time. Kenneth, I don't know what he has done here. I don't know who his uncle is or what's going on. He is the only person, including on air talent and production people, he is the only person that I have come across here that got to start as full-time. So the last thing he needs, Sarah, is increased praise uh, from you. Now, Frank, speaking of increased increased praise, okay, this regards you. I sent you an email yesterday because I had a six degree of separation moment with my very first love, who I've known for 55 years, who now lives in Florida and lived his entire life in New York. And he has gotten such a kick out of how interested I am in everything New York now that I've adopted your station and you personally, you know, as a you know, huge fan. So we were talking about blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I've sent you an email regarding one of the famous hosts from New York that you had mentioned and uh and he said and he said well no I never listen to the guy but I play golf with him every week. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I saw your email and and I'm pretty sure oh, I responded did. to it. But um oh, that that is ve- that's that's wild. Uh that's wild. So uh, when uh when he sees that person again please uh, tell him I I said hello. Oh, and how nice that you know what? The guy could have said anything about you. He didn't know me. And he 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 knows my friend who wasn't familiar with you. That's a true compliment to you. Oh, but so what did he? So what did he say about me? Oh, well, well. The other thing about my emails is I wanted to kid you and say don't, don't um, minutely look at my punctuation and everything because I'm an I'm an English major, daughter of two English teachers. <laughs> It's not going to be perfect. No, but what did you... I forwarded an email from my friend. And he said, you know, Frank Morano and and John Gamley said, sure, I remember Frank. He was a terrific producer, blah, 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 blah. And I just thought, how nice that this guy said that about you, you know, solicited by someone that never really knew who you were, my friend, you know. 
So good for you. Good well, that, you. that's nice, Sarah. I appreciate that. Yeah, John is a great guy. He and I are, are still friends. I try and get together with him whenever he's in New York, and I'm flattered that he remembers me still. Now, oh, it, it, totally. Now, I, j- just promise me this. Mark Simone is also a, quite a golfer. If your friend ever ends up golfing with Mark Simone, he should absolutely not bring my name up because my, my ego <laughs> is not as strong as Kenneth's, and I cannot withstand that degree of criticism. Well, I listened to Mark Simone. I went after it to find listen to one of his podcasts because it bugs me how he's how he's treated you. I don't think he's that good. Oh, I I, I think he's very talented. But different strokes <laughs> for different folks, Sarah. Thank you for the call. Appreciate you bet. it. So, by the way, I was talking about that Sebastian Gorka commercial where for a sleep aid, which is the strangest commercial I've ever seen. Maybe not the str- Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go so far as to say it is the strangest commercial because he's going to sleep in a suit and tie. Why is he going to sleep in a suit and tie? Why not put on some pajamas or something? That's why you can't sleep, Seb. And then he starts the commercial, you know, uh, on an airplane. And he's by himself. He's walking around by himself. And then he's in what looks clearly like a hotel. If it's not a hotel, I don't know why he's in his suit and tie when he's going to sleep. But um, then there's this mysterious woman next to him. You never see her face. There's no identification of who she is or why she's there or why she wasn't with him at the beginning of the commercial when he began this journey. But she's in bed sleeping soundly. I guess she took that relief factor sleep aid. So I just got an email here from Jennifer who writes, um, I th- Hi, Frank. I thought the exact same thing when I saw the relief factor commercial. Must be the same ad agency who writes the 800 Got Junk commercials. I'm sure I've seen those Got Junk commercials, but I have not noticed anything strange about them. Uh, you know, Seb Gorka, 800 Got Drunk is the first junk removal company that he has ever agreed to endorse. So there's a lot of junk removal companies that wanted his endorsement, but Got Junk was the one that won the prize. 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade right after the $1,000 minute, but um, uh, let me say hello to Joe in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. How you doing tonight? I want to shout out two new listeners. Uh, My sister's actually listening right now, Gina, for the first time. And her, Welcome uh, aboard, Gina. How did you get her to start li- start listening? What did you have to do? Did you have to pay her? Did you have to trick her? <laughs> now, uh, she actually texts me. She says, I'm listening to 77. That's how I was going to call on her, uh, her husband. Also, Ross is listening. They always used to listen to uh, um, that guy that you always talk about uh, with the space. I always forget his name. Yeah, Dr. Sky. Um, no, not, not Dr. Sky. The guy that used to have that radio, he passed away. Art Bell? Um, yeah, Art Bell. They used to listen to him all the time. And I told them about you, and uh, I, I'm a, you know, I always call into your show, and uh, yeah, so they're giving it a try tonight. I was calling about the, you know, what you were talking about, uh, the Mountain Dew, and I will not let my kids drink any of those energy drinks, Frank, or anything like that. You know, uh, not even coffee. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, those drinks are dangerous, you know. But um, a great show, like always, and um, I hope they keep listening. And uh, um, I'll probably I'll, I'll listen to uh, uh, tomorrow. And if I don't call in, uh, have a great weekend, Frank. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it very much. Uh, very quickly, David in the Bronx. Hello, David. Hey, good morning. On the issue of uh, farm salmon, 
the uh, item you're talking about is called astaxanthin. That's the uh, artificial that's the, okay. uh, pigment. Astaxanthin. Uh, astaxanthin. Uh, yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, astaxanthin. But you can actually get it as a supplement in a health food store. But the um, main issue with uh, canned, with the main issue with farm salmon is that they feed them a bun- bunch of other things, including antibiotics. And it's not just the salmon; it's shrimp, it's tilapia, anything that's farmed right. in the fish department. I would avoid, and they shouldn't even be allowed to call it salmon. They should call it sow bass. That's what they should call it. <laughs> David, I love it. As a Seinfeld fan, I love it. Uh, those of you that are on hold, you're welcome to hold. I'll get to you when we can. 800-848-9222. We're going to do the $1,000 minute. The seventh caller to 800-848-9222 will get an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. And then we will talk with the hardest working man in broadcasting, Brian Kilmeade. $1,000 minute. Next, be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is the Kenneth Anthem. This is Speedo by the Cadillacs. A terrific, terrific song. All right. We're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade in just a moment. Uh, But first, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Uh, let us say hello to Mark in Rochelle Park. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. How you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. Great, great piece about the uh, relief factor. I crack up every time I see that commercial. Oh, it's so you, you, you noticed the same thing I did. I think he looks at her a little bit, almost like looks, and he looks back at the camera. It's it's bizarre. Who is that lady? Who is she? I don't. You know what? I, I'm married. So I hope my wife's not listening. But imagine going to a hotel room, you get into bed, and, and she's just there. Well, that is the implication. Now, you only see the back. Uh, you know, Seb- Sebastian Gorka is a married woman. Um, I can't tell if that's his wife in that commercial, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. You- you brought that up at four o'clock, and I drive for a living, and I, I couldn't. I was going to call in, but I thought it was the funniest thing you brought that up. Fantastic! Excellent. Well, all right. I'm now rooting for you extra hard to answer ten questions <laughs> in sixty seconds. You've heard this contest before, I imagine, Mark, right? Yes, I have, Frank. All right. Uh, so let's get started if you're ready. Okay, let's do it, bud. What year is it? 2022. Pearl Harbor was attacked by what country in 1941? Yeah. What state is known as the Empire State? New York. What cable network does Tucker Carlson work for? Fox. What was the name of Sherlock Holmes' arch enemy? Oh. Oh, no. 
Oh, Halliburton. Ah, uh, no, no. No, I had no idea. Uh, sorry. It. It, it, uh, Professor Moriarty. Professor Moriarty. I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry. Thanks, Frank. Hey, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, stay on hold. Uh, the very handsome Kenneth is going to give you a consolation prize, okay? Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Um, give, give Mark something nice. Don't treat him like you do everybody else. All right. Without further ado, we have the hardest working man in broadcasting, a fellow who uh, uh, performed to a packed house on Friday night in New Jersey. He is a best-selling author, the co-anchor of Fox and Friends, killing it on the weekends over there at the Fox News Channel as well, and a nationally syndicated radio talk show host who is heard every morning on WABC from 10 a.m. to noon, the one and only Brian Kilmeade. Hello there, Brian. Good morning. It's news, Frank. Thanks to you guys we sold out. Uh, WABC listeners came out and drove, so I appreciate it. I know you had a great event, Tunnel to Towers. I was um, I was going to ask you how it went, but I heard from so many listeners that they were just as impressed with uh, your whole presentation as I've been when I've seen uh, you speak. Uh, but So I, I guess it went pretty well, needless to say. Yeah, I mean, we were able to, a lot of patriotic people listen uh, and watch. So you're able to go through history uh, the correct way, have some fun, inspirational, motivational, patriotic. It's a pretty good combination uh, for the people that listen to 77 WABC, uh, watch Fox, uh, One Nation on Saturday. So it was good. I appreciate a lot of, you know, had our conversations on Thursday helping to, to sell out in, in Newark, New Jersey, which, by the way, is revitalized. I hadn't been there in a long time. I could not believe how nice the theater was and how nice the town is getting. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I, I have spent actually a lot of time in Newark over the last couple of years, and uh, it does it does look like a great town. I do miss a little bit of the 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 grittiness, but uh, that's a discussion for another day. Hey, uh, if people didn't get there Friday, do you have a date for uh, when you're performing again in the future in the uh, New York, New Jersey tri-state area? No, uh, just if you want to go to BrianKilme.com, get the President Freedom Fighter now and our paperback six straight weeks on the uh, bestseller list uh, because people. Especially now that we're, did you see the story in I California did. about reparations? I, I did. It, it is uh, absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. Um, I mean, two hundred forty thousand dollars per person to pay for slavery that took place up until uh, eighteen sixty-five. I mean, how how can you possibly award people money for something that happened one hundred and fifty years ago? Uh, I, uh, needless to say, I don't see a possible rationale for doing so. Let me ask you about the uh, Georgia Senate race. The last couple of months, we've spent a great deal of time discussing this. You've been down to Georgia. You've done some of the most newsmaking interviews with Herschel Walker out of anybody uh, on radio or television. Were you? I actually predicted, in spite of what the polls were saying, that uh, Herschel Walker was going to pull it out in a close race. It was a close race, but Warnock ended up winning. Were you surprised at the result? And uh, where do you think governing goes from here for the next two years? Wow. Uh, I mean, Republicans do have to revisit how they do this stuff. Um, you know, in Georgia, you know, Doug Collins was on yesterday. He says, don't think it's a purple state. It is still a red state. If you look everywhere else, it's a red state. And I think with Herschel's situation, with just two points, just two points separates it. You go down and you say, what is the difference? Uh, and, and the difference was, one, I wouldn't have taken five days off around Thanksgiving. Number two is I wouldn't have uh, – I would have had uh, – I would have out – you know what Trump did in the stretch against Hillary Clinton? He went to more states, right. more appearances, and more days. And that was the the margin of victory. 
I wouldn't doubt that those little things at the end. The other thing didn't help is that he didn't straighten out his own personal personal life situation. Stuff that mostly happened way in the past, 2007. His son obviously ranting again on social media. Uh, I, you know, about his dad never should have run. Really? His dad never should have won. Why don't you say something before he was running? And then the women that came out, that could have been the margin of victory. I don't think Warnock's particularly strong. I think Kemp comes out looking really good. I mean, evidently he performed, he overperformed in a lot of places that Kemp had this get out the vote, knock on the door, uh, knock on door campaign, which was gave him an eight point victory against Stacey Abrams, which is pretty formidable. Uh, I think Kemp comes out a national figure, certainly a Senate. He's probably going to win against Ossoff you know, in a few years. But I think that he could be a national figure. But I, if you met Herschel, he's, he's plenty of charismatic. He absolutely would have been a good senator. Nothing is wrong with his intellect. Being an athlete and a business person does not preclude you from being effective. I couldn't believe the uh, some of the things that they played into, racial stereotypes, that he's uh, you know, he's not capable of doing things like that, really, because he doesn't have a degree, but he went to uh, three years of college and uh, he's got all this practical experience. I, I didn't get some of this stuff. I mean, do you people really think that Fetterman is a great candidate? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that that's for sure. I mean, we could do a whole deep dive into what what happened in Pennsylvania. But two things that you said really struck me. The margin of Brian Kemp's victory in the Georgia governor's yeah. race, uh, meaning, and the fact that Herschel Walker lost, means there was a... Kemp Warnock voter, or at least a Kemp stay home voter. And you alluded to how hard Donald Trump worked in turning some of these uh, blue and purple states and counties red in 2016. The Wall Street Journal editorial board uh, yesterday is squarely blaming uh, Walker's defeat in Georgia on the Republicans' defeat in Georgia, on Donald Trump. Uh, they're saying the same thing about um, Walker's selection in Georgia that they're saying about uh, Mastriano's selection in Pennsylvania and Carrie Lake's uh, selection in Arizona, which is that by uh, Trump endorsing the more Trumpian candidates in the primaries, that also led to the least electable general election candidate being on the ballot. Do you think that's a fair criticism from the Wall Street Journal and from others who've said Similar things. Look, it, it's uh, sure you could say whatever you want. And you got you got something to go on there. Mastriano was terrible, and he was lazy. And I, uh, you know, I had him on. I go, this guy's pretty. This guy's very conversant. I talked to him in the break. I had him on the One Nation show Saturdays, and and I'm like, this guy. He goes, Brian. By the way, I'm I have a master's degree. I have a PhD in history. I'm like, oh, geez, okay. And he's you know, I'm at the state legislature, just going in his background. I go, this guy's pretty strong. Then I t- was in Pennsylvania. Uh, why was I imp- okay? I was doing something with my book, and I met a, f- a bunch of people there. One was a major fundraiser, and he says, "Listen, I tried to help Mastriano out, like I helped out Oz." I go, "What happened?" This guy's a he owns about ten dealerships. He said, "I couldn't get him on the phone." Really? When I finally got him on the phone, he was very wary of me. I had a million questions, and I said, "You're trailing by eleven points. You can't afford to blow off my fundraiser. I'm doing this for you," and I'm saying, "Okay, that's Trump's fault." I don't look at Dr. Oz as Trump's fault, really. I mean, Dave McCormick, was, I got to know him, but he was inexperienced. You, you, you know, Frank, you and I might have been saying McCormick's a great businessman, but he wasn't good on the stump. Oz was better on the stump, but he won by a, a percentage and a half. Uh, and evidently Melania pushed Donald Trump to endorse him. But listen, you're going against a lazy lieutenant governor with a terrible attendance record, an unbelievably bad mayor— who then had a stroke and you still lost. I don't know if you blame Trump for right. that. 
Right. Uh, no, I, I think uh, I, I agree with you. And plus, you know, the, I noticed the Wall Street Journal didn't necessarily castigate the Democrats that ran ads during the Republican primaries boosting these extremist candidates that they said were a threat to democracy. And as an electoral strategy, at least it's, it seems to have worked. Aaron Judge staying with the New York Yankees. A lot of New York baseball fans pretty excited. You surprised? I uh, tell you what, I started really worrying because if I, I looked at some of his sound bites as he left, he's like, I've enjoyed playing here. You know, being here was special. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this guy's done. And then the booing of him, and I don't blame him. He was terrible in the mm-hmm. off, very good in the field, but terrible uh, with the bat. In the last few weeks, the strain to get 62 absolutely threw off his rhythm, in my humble opinion. And he was terrible in the postseason. And the Yankee fans do what they do best. They booed him. Uh, you know, like, listen, you're not performing. So I thought to myself, you combine those two things and judge loving a Barry Bonds and then the story that, that the Giants matched it and then the Padres came in late. And then I thought when the story emerged, too, that he was upset the Yankees leaked out that he turned down $240 million. And then you find out that Jeter had the same complaint on Brian Cashman late in his career that caused bitterness between them. And I thought, okay, this is a bad series of events, and the Yankees are already planning for Plan B, a massive signing, including another starting pitcher. But listen, I think in in about a month, whenever they make the announcement, I think the C goes on his jersey too. I think he is a worthy captain of uh, to fulfill Derek Jeter to fill Derek Jeter's shoes. He's class. He's great person, hard worker. Um, so I, I would love for him to be the next Yankee captain. I don't know how your listeners feel about it. Yeah, no, I, I think he'd be a great choice. I think he's got a lot of heart. But it sounds like, yes, you are surprised that he chose to stay in New York. Yeah, I mean, when you when he, when he played out the season, he's had those type of numbers. Uh, I thought, yeah, he's probably going to stay. And then when the season ended, the way it did, and by the way, the Yankee fans are unbelievable. The Yankee players are unbelievably frustrating. Because uh, it's not only that. I mean, they've gotten really close – uh, uh, five straight years, and they just keep falling short. After a while, you, you just know, am I going to grind this out for another 162 and then fall short again in the postseason? Maybe it's time for a fresh start. Mm. And then you bring back uh, Aaron Boone, and you bring back, uh, then you bring back, uh, you know, you bring back Brian Cashman. You think, what's going to be different? Right. Right. No, it's, it's a great question. I think uh, it's one a lot of Yankee fans are asking. I know that you are, first and foremost, a soccer guy. Uh, you uh, played yourself, and uh, soccer's big in your family. You have kids that play. I have heard that you are now supporting England in the World <laughs> Cup. Is that I love the way you make this. Like Your team has discovered <laughs> through uh, exhaustive research that according to sources, this has emerged. Yes, I like... I prefer England. Uh, I, pref- I would like to see England go the rest of the way. Why? They're very similar to the Yankees. Uh, favored to win every year. Never do. Fall, go to the Final Four. They lost in the European Championships to Italy, who didn't even qualify for the World Cup. So uh, I would love for them to do it. They got some older guys and Pierce Morgan paying me the $5,000 to to, to Tunta Towers, as well as Folds of Honor, makes me think that uh, they have the credibility and honesty and integrity, and they invented the game. Let them win. I love to see them line up against Brazil. You know, I am uh, I'm a fan of the TV show of Ted Lasso, so I'll root for them uh, as well. That is bad logic, Frank. <laughs> that is, you have lost all credibility 
I mean, <laughs> you prefer a football coach coaching a national team. That's right. Uh, that's what. That's so. right. I, I think uh, I, I'm not sure how much credibility I had to begin with. Hey, let me ask you about this. You have been you were all over these um, New York uh, elections and you were the first guy to say that the New York gubernatorial race was going to be close. You were the first guy when uh, people were saying that Lee Zeldin had no chance. You were the first guy to say, no, 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 no. He's got a real chance of winning. Sure enough, the closest uh, Republican election in 20 years. The only Democrat that ran for office in New York that refused to debate her opponent was Letitia James. Everybody else agreed to at least one debate with their opponent, except for the Attorney General Tish James. Tish James, also the person that released the report that sunk Andrew Cuomo. Now she's at the heart of a sexual harassment scandal of her own. She spoke about it last night on New York One for the first time. I understand the appearance, but, um, you know, whenever there is an investigation, rarely do we comment on investigations. We do not want to compromise the investigation. And it was really critically important that we protect the, uh, uh, um, the, uh, the, the individuals who were involved. And uh, there are some people, including her former opponent, Michael Henry, that are calling for a special prosecutor to be appointed and a broader probe. Where do you think this goes, if anywhere, Brian? Because your instincts have proven to be pretty good. Well, you know what? In terms of, I mean, they got the levers of power everywhere. I mean, it's not Governor Lee Zeldin. You know, so this is the problem. Who's going to press Letitia James, uh, who suppressed this story uh, in October that came across her desk? And she suppressed. He told the guy to go home. Says, go mm. home, work out of your house. Uh, and then next thing you know, he resigns after the election. So go work out of your house. Let's not have this emergency. So it's to no one's advantage for this to come out. So, you know, you look at what happened with the Cuomo situation. 17 women come out. He does, she does a, a very uh, public investigation. And then upon our conclusion that these women are credible, they got to stick around. Where was that transparency there? Right. So, well, and then, none. you know, let's focus all our attention on suing Donald Trump. <laughs> we want to do sue Donald Trump and his organization that you lauded, but now we're going to go look into what happened with the CFO's grandchildren going to a private school on company money. Let's put that guy in jail for five years. Let, let the carjacker and the baseball bat guy go out. Let him go out. But let's put the CFO of a, uh, a Weinberg or whatever his name is. Let's put him in jail and let's find out if Donald Trump overvalued something. Really? Donald Trump exaggerates everything, including his ratings on The Apprentice. It's part of his appeal and that's part of what real estate does. So, I mean, to me, she's losing credibility by the day. Her personal goals of being governor have never been more distant. Uh, so, I, you know, I think the New York should, should demand, some, uh, demand some integrity. Yeah, uh, are we having lunch next week, uh, Brian? I heard a rumor about that that we might all be true. Lunch. Wow! Uh, I requested. Uh, I said I'd love to take WABC and the team, Justin, you. Oh, you're paying. Uh, Sid. Oh, I'm paying. Wow, this is going to be something. I'm are you kidding? This this is going to be great. Um, you mentioned Sid. Last question, Brian. Not and- for you, Frank. <laughs> I am not paying for you. I, I don't. I, don't I just want to make this clear. When I hang up, I don't want to think. I don't want to get sued with your bill. No, uh, believe me, if you're going to stay up an extra six hours uh, for me, I'm paying. Well, thank you. That's the only reason I'm sticking around another another six or seven hours. Final question, though. You alluded to Sid Rosenberg. I caught him on your TV show the other day. I think a lot of people, even Sid would acknowledge this, a lot of people believe Sid may be bordering on some sort of narcissism. Is there a danger by giving Sid national television exposure that you're sort of creating a monster that the rest of us who are in the hall with him on a daily basis then have to deal with? TV psychologist uh, Dr. Drew has also called me on this same issue. 
about Sid's narcissism. And uh, it's something I played into. I don't feel good about. Uh, so, but he does excel. So for selfish reasons, I put him on television for his commentary. But I realize also feeding his narcissism makes him more intolerable in the break room uh, <laughs> at WABC. So for that, I apologize to everybody. But I am looking selfishly at big ratings. And we had a big night. And Sid did extremely well. So I don't care how, uh, how much... His ego grows. I don't care how intolerable and hard he is for you to deal with, Frank. Uh, I'm worried about myself. Brian, I got to run way late. We'll see you on Fox and Friends. We'll be listening at 10. Thank you, as always. Stay within yourself, Frank. Thank you. (laughs) To be continued. I'm the man. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Leonard, 15 seconds. Yeah, uh, I like to recommend uh, a DVD called Bombshell, the head of Lamar story. Came out in 2017, and it talks about her contributions and her patents during I'll, World War II. I'll, I'll check it out. Mike, actually, Steve, go ahead. Yeah, do we really need that with Brian? He's on the air all day long. He doesn't have certain people win. Well, the demographics and the voting patterns have changed in certain areas. That's how they win, Brian. Thank you, Steve. Hey, we'll do more tomorrow. Frank Morano, good day.